0: Hey everybody, it's Lisa Lampanelli, the queen of Maine, and you know what? I got my own podcast. Yeah, does everyone have one? Pretty much, but mine's different because I'm going to help you like I help myself. Get Stuffed with Lisa Lampanelli every week is going to teach you how to have the fabulous life that I have.
1: If you don't listen, you're just stupid and don't want to help yourself, so don't even listen. I don't even want you to. But if you do, if you disobey my orders and listen, you can go to feralaudio.com
0: or download it from iTunes. But again, don't listen. I don't even care.
1: Today's episode is brought to you by Last Rampage, the new true crime film starring Robert Patrick, Heather Graham, and Bruce Davison. And we had the pleasure of speaking to someone involved with the movie.
0: So uh, my name is Alvaro Rodriguez. I'm the screenwriter for The Last Rampage. As a writer, to me, I'm less interested in genre and more interested in character. And, you know, I've written in a lot of different genres, you you know, kind of horror genre, thriller, or action movie, or kids movie, or, you know, different kinds of things. And it was always more, I was always more interested in character, and hadn't really quite done something like this before, but was just uh, really drawn to this idea of um, of a guy like Gary Tyson, who, you know, had been in and out of institutions from the time he was, you know, a kid, um, and, uh, and having sort of raised three sons from behind bars. get past that is you know by this you know by dying basically but kind of threatens him a little bit but um so that was really you know the touchstone for me uh trying to figure out how to tell that story don't miss last rampage the true story of the prison break
1: of gary tyson in theaters september 22nd and available for
0: on-demand pre-order august 22nd
1: Find out more on Twitter by following
0: at LastRampageFilm or on Facebook.com slash LastRampageFilm.
2: The X-Files Files files. is Kamel Nanjiani. Uh, Today we're talking about two episodes, Aubrey and Irresistible. Um, And our guest today is Steve Asbel. He is an executive at Fox, and he's the producer of uh, X-Files I Want to Believe. And he's one of the guys who got that movie to actually happen, and he tells a story about that. Um, And it's really interesting. And I really like this episode for a few reasons. One, in the beginning, we talk a lot about you know, uh, uh, we all sort of know uh, the perspective of the actors and writers when they're trying to make movies, and you never really, at least I never really hear from, like, the executives what they look for when they're trying to make a movie. Um, so we talk a lot about that, like, what kind of big movies he's, he likes, what he doesn't, what he looks for when they're trying to make a movie, uh, and it was really, really interesting. I think, um, you know, if you talk to, uh, you, you sort of hear these stories about, like, executives and stuff, and... Uh, often they're painted as the bad guys but listen to this episode and you'll see like this guy's really smart he's really good at this at his job and he's very very passionate about what he does Um, and I just you know I hadn't planned on talking to him about that stuff Uh, it just sort of happened and I was so interested that we talked about it for a little bit and then uh, we talked about uh, our thoughts on Aubrey and Irresistible uh, and I thought that was interesting again this is the guy whose job is to give notes to writers, so he has like really great insights into both these episodes, and um, uh, I really really like talking to him, and I really want to have him back in a future episode. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, hope you guys enjoy it. I will um, talk to you guys after the episode. Hey, so I'm very excited. Uh, our
1: guest today is Steve Asbell. Steve, tell us what you do where. Um, I work at 20th Century Fox. Um, I do as little as possible, really. <laughs> no, I'm um, executive vice president of production, um, which means I help make the donuts, you know, yeah. sort of help uh, supervise and facilitate the films for the studio. And some of the donuts you've been responsible for are Prometheus? Uh, I've worked on Prometheus. Um, I've worked on uh, a few Ridley Scott films, Kingdom of Heaven, um, Prometheus. We just made this film Exodus. That movie Um, looks great it's cool it's really cool we just saw it uh the other day it's good Um, and uh chronicle you worked on chronicle yeah that was um that was a really exciting project mainly because of just the filmmaker and and the script it's one of those movies where you make it because of the talent not because you're out there trying to make a found footage film that you know right gonna be about oh it's like a superhero movie it's like it's genuinely. It was the director's first movie. It was the writer's first uh, produced script, and so yeah. And that writer has now had like yes. sold like twenty more scripts or something. He does. He sells a lot. That's for sure. Um, and I worked on X Files. To believe. I want yeah. to
2: believe. So tell me about that, because we met because you heard this podcast and you contacted my agent. Yes. And we met last week, and we also hung out last night. But let's not talk about that. <laughs> we met last week, and you told me. So you you were just an ex you were an X-Files fan yeah
1: I mean that's to me you know this was the 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 I had recently gone back to start rewatching the series again just randomly from season one um and I started I heard about the podcast actually from devin and then I heard his podcast with you and it was brilliant I mean it was genius and the sort of the 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 fun of it the analysis you guys do and just sort of um sort of it, it's a perfect companion to re- revisit the show from season one and I you know it like so many of people that i hope listen to this well you know my life was changed by the yeah. show in college yeah and, and it was but
2: your story is unique in that your life was changed by it and then you got to work on uh, tell me how i want to believe happened
1: um well it it's uh, i started i've been at fox for about 13 years um and i started there as sort of a junior executive um you know support staff junior, yeah. junior g-man type thing and in my uh, interview, I was, you know, I sort of asked my boss, the guy who became become my boss, like, oh, if I work here, you know, I really want to work on the next X-Files movie. And he was like, oh, okay. I mean, there may be one someday, but there really isn't right now. Yeah. This was uh, 2001, maybe, 2002. Um, and I went and I sort of um, uh, got Chris Carter's number from his Rolodex, <laughs> which I sort of just purloined, um, and I kind of just cold called him, and I left him a message, and he called me back and, like, agreed to meet me for coffee at the lot, which was amazing. ridiculous. And I was like, well, first I thought I was going to be in trouble because I was like, Jesus, I just, <laughs> you know, stole this guy's number. Um, and we met, and and he was so amazing and gracious and, you know, just was l- sort of listening to my pitch for why, not the story pitch, but for why, like, we had to make another movie. And yeah. he's like, sure, man. Like, Let's great. do it. Let's do it. Well, I mean, it took, it took years. Of course. I mean, it course. Took, there were deals and I think, but also I think Chris, you, you know, it it needed to be driven by an idea from Chris and right. from Frank, and and um, I think that's uh, that's partly why it took so long. But there were definite deal issues to work out with of David and Jillian and and Chris and Frank and everybody. But um, but yeah, eventually years later, there was a script and there was a movie, and it was. Um, I can only speak to this as a fan. I mean, it's just a joy. I mean, these people are
0: yeah. exactly
1: who you would want them to be. I mean, they're uh, incredibly passionate and smart and great collaborators. And, you know, they, they know this stuff better than anyone. And watching David work, watching Jillian work. Um, but primarily sort of working with Chris and Frank on the story, I mean, it was it was incredible, actually.
2: And, you, I mean, that's a crazy story, that you're like an X-Files fan who then got to work on the movie. You showed me pictures of you on set with like all those guys. He <laughs> just looks so
1: excited. Duchovny and his fake beard. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> yes, that's right. It was Duchovny and his fake beard. <laughs> that's yeah, it right.
1: Was, it was um it was really cool. I mean it was a great uh uh it was a great experience all around and was really lucky to be there. So I'm gonna ask you a question.
2: I'm sure you've been asked this is there gonna be another X Files movie? Like what what's happening? What are you guys doing?
1: Hmm it's up to you camille how is it up to me what's the line uh the success of your current assignment <laughs> <laughs> is uh imperative oh. the reinstatement of the expels must be undeniable Wow well
2: done well done you know, well I'm it's, trying man it's, I'm trying we're,
1: we're, and you're doing by the way I do think this this it's doing this podcast is a fantastic part of that because it is as you said on the show a way to introduce people kids especially that didn't kind of grow up with it in first run to, you know, like can now binge watch on Netflix. And it's, it's a stunning thing to watch from the first season. I mean, how well it holds up and and looking at it now to see how many shows and movies and and just cultural things were influenced by what they did. And I I wasn't watching, I can't remember if I was even watching very much TV back then, like The Simpsons and, you know, a little Briscoe County Jr. here and there. But it was, it just changed everything. Yeah, I mean, in terms of just those characters. I mean, we didn't grow up with our Night Stalker, really. We didn't have, you know, no. all the influences that you hear about from from Chris and, you know, the, 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 the shows and the stuff that they had been inspired by. You know, I don't think we necessarily had that, certainly not in the 80s when we were kids. Right. And then it just sort of was this 90s Clinton era, right moment, right time. I mean, you guys have talked about it on the show, I think, in really interesting ways about sort of, you Know post Cold War, you know, the idea that you could finally turn your attention to the government, right? You know, questioning the things that the government w- was yeah. doing, internal enemies rather than external. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's something I wrote a letter, it's embarrassing, but I wrote a letter to Chris in <laughs> in that process, like at some point during while you were those years on, of like, yeah, because it, it was a lot of waiting. I mean, you know, it was, I think he it, had he and Frank were working on an idea for a while, but it didn't really become official for years and I for a few years, and i had written sort of. Some ver- this was like 2005, somewhere in the middle, of this fan letter that was, I mean, I'd already been sort of working with him a little bit, but right. not really officially. And I remember, you know, for me, trying to kind of explain to him why I thought the show, the characters needed to come back, because then it was primarily about Mulder and Scully and the idea that those, the, the, the sort of uh, iconography of those two characters, you know, oh, somebody in the dark with a flashlight, like, is timeless. And that, in a weird way, we've, what was paranoid fantasy in the 90s is now policy. And oh, like, yes. we need that now more than ever, even though we don't seem to know it. Right.
2: Yeah. I mean, the NSA is actually listening to us. Yeah. All the stuff that Mulder is paranoid about is happening to every single one of us. Yeah. All or the at time. some
1: level, something about it is feels like it's permeated the culture in a way that that's what we're just used to. And it was th- literally it was the stuff of paranoid fantasy in the in the era of the show. Yeah,
2: and I think that part of you know Facebook and Twitter and stuff it's made it so that people don't value their privacy as much as they used to. People you know are okay with Foursquare and yeah. telling it I'm the mayor of this place. So this guy goes here a lot. Like Shaq will just tweet like Hey, I'm eating at the sandwich restaurant. Come say hi. Like that's crazy to me. That uh, and, and because of that, people have become really desensitized to these ideas. And I think you know having privacy is such an important part of being in a society. Um, I think that's a really, really integral part of what makes a society work, is people being allowed to sort of retreat into a place where nobody's looking at them or spying spying on them. And now we live in a society where that is valued less and less every day.
1: That was the, um, in 2008, that was the, um, the idea was to tell a sort of non-mythology episode. I mean, it was, you, whether it was a, I mean, I'm very proud of the film, and, and like I said, so lucky to have been involved with it, um, you know, we came out the week after Dark Knight or something like that. That's but a
2: rough time for anything. To yeah. Come
1: out. But I mean, I think the idea of telling a smaller story that had sort of more upside, you know, that was sort of didn't, it wasn't about having to kind of um, assume that everybody knew the mythology, but at least loved the characters or, or remembered loving the characters. And I say everybody, I mean people that beyond fans and that you know if this worked in a more intimate way and it was also a way to give Chris the opportunity to tell the story he wanted to tell and to let him direct which she did a great job with and um, it was genuinely an amazing experience to work with those guys like he's a genius and he's incredibly he's an incredibly good collaborator you know i wish th- that you could argue well if we had done a bigger movie with that in a big more expensive movie in the, in the realm of the first one you know, which had all the visual effects and which had sort of those reveals, um, would that have made a difference? I don't, I mean, who knows? Who knows? Um, But it was just, like I said, I mean, you're in the business of making the films that the directors and creators want to make, because otherwise it's like you're just making things that you, the the company or the group, think is the right thing, and when you have something like X-Files, which is the... Brainchild of Chris and Frank and you Howard trust and them, yeah. Glenn and James. I mean, all of those guys who who spent all of those years bringing it together. Um, you have to trust them. And I think yeah. we were right to. And the movie ultimately, I think the movie made money a little bit. Good. Made I money. own it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it didn't do enough that we were like, number three is yeah. starting right now. But what but. you're
2: saying now is that you're going to
1: Make another one for sure. Great, um, that's greatness. Thank we're you. We're talking. For yeah, speaking. no, it, it's it, don't give up. I mean, for okay. any, for any of us, genuinely, it's something that, that. I
2: would love to see another movie. I would love to see another movie. Holy shit! Um. So, uh. So yeah, I was very excited to meet you, and uh, it was cool to meet because you know we're in this industry, and the sort of the narrative is artists versus executives. That's how it's sort of spun to you and told to you, and in my experience i haven't really worked on movies very much really i've done tv shows and i've been lucky in that i've gotten to work with hbo and comedy central who've both been really good and have really bucked that trend And it was really awesome meeting you because you're so passionate and excited and you know you always talk about like i didn't make this movie happen i my job is just to sort of facilitate a situation where people can make what they want to make
1: well it's 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 genuinely true it's not just sort of modesty in that way because we're all sort of, it's a, it's a collaboration at, at the highest level and the fact of the matter is it's, and I've learned this, and you do the job long enough and you, you, you fail enough and you yeah. make enough movies that either don't work. I mean, there's, weird is a funny thing. Commercial success is is sometimes not the arbiter of, of value in a weird way. I mean, it is in terms of, of you, get to, yes. you get to keep your job and maybe somebody will hire you, but yeah. the ultimate thing is you want to try to make great stuff. Because I think now more than ever, especially in the film business, um, you know, you you, 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 we, you can't get away with it. I mean, there's very few movies, I think, that are that were super successful that you can't say weren't above average at the very least it, in a macro sense that were pretty good. That actually were the product yeah. of filmmakers and, and a filmmaker's voice, even if it's, yeah. you know. Batman, Chris Nolan, or you know, Joss and Avengers. Even if it's a giant enterprise of a movie, they're
2: great if movies. It has
1: the right filmmaking voice, yeah. It's going to have some soul, and yeah. I think that's that's what I mean when I say our job is to sort of facilitate because it's it is ultimately less about legislated movies coming together in the way that we. I mean, we have to sort of plan them in the right way and figure out what's the right level of risk and all of, of that. Course. But but it actually is you you want to. Plan the movie in a way that gives the filmmaker the best chance to succeed. Yeah. And sometimes, if it's too expensive, that just becomes impossible because everybody right. gets scared.
2: And it's interesting because obviously, you guys are in a business and the business is making money, but there's no other. Um, there's, for you guys, money is the bottom line, but if a movie's not critically well received, in a way, it's not a success, even if it does make money. I don't want to name names about movies, but I feel like there's there are movies, even this summer, that are very, very profitable that I don't think anybody would say were successful sure. in any sort of artistic way. But you, they can make money, but still not be considered successful. And I think, actually, in TV right now, the, the distance between critically and commercially successful is becoming smaller and smaller. Oh, yeah. There are some shows that... I don't think, are great shows that are doing really well. But for the most part, the shows that we talk about, the shows that win Emmys, are the shows that people like to watch. I mean, Game of Thrones or Mad Men or Breaking Breaking Bad. Bad. I mean, these, Yeah. It was so. I mean, I was, Silicon
1: Valley. Come Silicon on. Valley.
2: I mean, we won nothing, but awesome. it felt. So, you know what? It was perfect because we we saw each other at the yeah. Emmy after party Which I had last night. No day. business of being there, but no. You. It was. It was. Yeah. It was such a. I had such a great time. I was so excited to go to the Emmys. I'd never been. So it was cool. It was. I uh, the Silicon Valley crew to our right was Big Bang Theory. Up in front of us and to the right was Breaking Bad. We were right there with the Breaking Bad right. people, and we were. Right behind us was Game of Thrones, right, so it was so exciting to be there with all these other shows that you love to that watch great. but it, it was kind of perfect that we lost everything and that every few minutes someone would ask me for my credentials because <laughs> <I> th- <laughs> it was perfect, yeah, because like we made it there right. but not didn 't really right. make it like right. we're still at the part where we walked the red carpet right but when we get there, the people are like reloading their cameras right. and like avoiding eye contact with us. Because I think feeling like an outsider or the underdog, that's what the show Silicon Valley is. Yeah. And I think as a show, that's, that was our purpose in the whole that's thing That's why too. you
1: know you're still great and you're doing something right. And I had actually, you could tie it into the X-Files, which was a Friday night television show. Yeah. That was, I mean, I realized it's funny listening to your podcast and when you talk about the ratings and how well it was doing, even though... Not well for necessarily for that time, even though today it's like crazy, but it was my looking back. My favorite thing about it was, you know, even if you had a VCR and we're going to record it occasionally, it's a Friday night show. You're fucking home on Friday night. Oh, yeah. To watch the show with friends. And it was a it was a true subculture. Yes. It was something that felt like it was made for us. To people
2: was, who aren't going out on Friday yeah, night. Yeah, I mean,
1: yes, let's be honest, yes. But also that there was something genuine about it because when you come out on Friday night and you get to be this thing for these people, you don't have to be all things for all people. Right. And that's where I think things, movies, whether they're big or small or television shows, when they cross over, it's because they're good enough, meaning, and then it, it sort of starts to branch out. And I think there's a weird relationship that we, and certainly today, and where fandom is sort of spread all over the map now that these movies or superhero movies are the most popular things in the world that there's a funny thing about when you give it away and it's now everybody else's and it's cool and they're on the cover i remember when they were on the cover of entertainment weekly i was like huh like it's cool because you feel validated for something that you really dig but you're like well is this going to change how this is how they do this yes like i noticed Mulder started wearing some better suits Uh in seasons like four and five right it's interesting
2: Right, and it, it is interesting, but um, and there are certainly, and again, I'm not going to name big movies, you know, f- franchises that I'm, that I love, or characters that I love. I don't want to use the word franchises, characters that I love. That uh, the fact that they became really popular hurt them. But a great example is a movie like Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. I mean, that movie has a lot of soul, a lot of passion, and it's incredibly commercially successful because James Gunn really like sort of brought his own vision to it. Yeah, so. Being, you know, you don't have to have that divide. You don't really have to sell out. I mean, that's a very specific movie with very specific characters. Yeah. And it only happened because, as you said, Nord culture has sort of become mainstream. And it didn't hurt it. It actually helped that movie happen. For sure. And in a way that's unique to James Gunn as an artist.
1: Well, I would say, for, I agree with you completely. I love the movie as well. And I think that the that shift happened, I'd say, 2000, 2001, when... Both in terms of the superhero films, but also Pirates, were movies that would have normally been for boys or for either young boys or boys, suddenly became for it became cool for women and parents and things to go to movies that were traditionally sort of like about you know, I mean, other than Superman and Batman and some of the bigger ones that obviously were just massively mythic and right. popular. Um, but but when certainly X Men came out and Spider Man was a huge character, and then even Pirates, which was a family movie, you know, it was like a sort of a
2: who Entire would have thought that was going to be successful? I mean, I,
1: I I worked on this movie called Master and Commander, and uh, Far Side of the World, Far Side of the World, um, which was the first film I worked on at Fox actually, and um, <laughs> I remember we were coming out in June, and we had Russell Crowe, and it was like you know two years, three years after Gladiator, and I remember um, they had announced it and they dated it in the summer. We were coming out in June, and they were coming out in July, and 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 we were like. <laughs> they're making this part of the premium, you know like that's hilarious like, yeah. that's really cute and then I got the script because I was like oh there's two you know boat movies in the summer there was some yeah. sort of concern about the marketing and I read um um uh, uh Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio wrote the screenplay um and it was amazing like even the script before all of the Johnny Depp revelation and all yeah. of that like I was like this is really good like this yeah. is a great piece of material and I sort of gave it to my guys and Various things ensued, and we ended up opening in November, But which was, I don't know if it hurt or helped the movie, but it was like, it was, yeah, who knew, except for the fact that, like, you you thought, well, what a cynical decision, absent the movie and the material itself, but you ended up having a great filmmaker in war. Yeah. And, again, that sort of arrival of a sort of, you know, you could say that Depp and Downey in Iron Man was a sort of similar thing. These two guys who had been sort of, had reached this point in their right. career where Deb was doing like Secret Garden or something, you know, whatever. They yes. weren't like the movie stars they, they are now, right. but they also had been around and had their shot. Right. And yet the idiosyncrasy of their performances, and I remember when when the, the Downey thing was announced for Iron Man, and that was also a similar situation where Marvel, you were like, really guys? You're going to make like, Iron, Iron Man? Man? Like we had X-Men. Like I don't know what you're worried yeah. about. Yeah. Um, and, and then you heard about it and you're like, that's amazing. Yeah, because you knew the character, Tony Stark, and you sort of thought, like, all right, well, huh, they actually do know, they get that. Like, they're not worried about casting somebody they think is going to be commercial. Yeah. They think they're going to cast the right guy. And it was a set, it was the first overture of what Marvel now, you know, sort of runs the the game in a way. and, And they deserve it. And they're really, really talented, great sort of planners and they take chances
2: and marvel's done a great job i think as you said of casting people who they thought were right for the part and not necessarily or not names at all i mean chris evans chris hemsworth these people were not movie stars they were just like perfect for these roles and so they cast him in that, yeah. and uh, the most r- recognizable one was Robert Downey Jr., and that seemed like a crazy choice for but them to in make. In a
1: movie at the time, I mean, this is the thing, you know. You, we always, it's easy to look back and be like, "Oh man, he's the soul of everything." Of course, thing. but like, yeah he what was it he was in like kiss kiss bang bang i guess was which, which is was a great, great. movie a great movie i'm just saying yeah. there weren't offers for him to oh, be in no. giant films
2: and he was the biggest story that everyone knew about him was yeah. that he had struggles with drugs and for alcohol sure. his whole life
1: and that was sort of the his narrative which the minute you heard he was playing T- tony stark you were like that's oh perfect my God, that's genius <laughs> that's so good if you knew anything about it and yeah and they ended up just like again it's the it's hard to 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 distill the process of any of these movies into anything kind of like you know here's the rules of how you make it great it because it's every movie is different and it's the souffle gets baked and sometimes it goes up and sometimes yeah. out and it goes down but it's what i do think happens is that when you have the confidence and the people making the movie all together have the confidence to let those idiosyncrasies sort of live in the film yeah. then you end up with more choices when you finally sort of put it together that it actually feels more interesting and real because the audience can tell Oh yeah. that this thing hasn't been scripted the audience oh, yeah. can tell that this feels legit right. and they can tell now that they've seen everything they've seen everything in visual effects they've seen everything in sort of you know we tell these stories now they, us- they used to be generations or years between how when these stories would be recycled or you know repurposed not recycled so much and now it happens like much more quickly. Though.
2: Much more quickly. Like, f- for instance, um, Guardians of the Galaxy, which you feel like, how is that a personal movie? That's about, you know, that's in space. It feels so crazy. Yeah. But what James Gunn did, how he brought himself to it, I just read a thing by him where he said, you know, his movies, because he's such a, there's like a real streak of anarchy about mm-hmm. him. He's like a real rebel, and all his movies have that. Like, Super is a fucked up movie, you yeah. know? And so this one, was like, I can't do crazy, violent... I mean, you know, he started with the Troma films, which I are know. the craziest films you'll ever see in your life. And uh, so he was like, oh, I'm just going to bring myself to it in different little ways. So, for instance, Rocket Raccoon's teeth are his dog's teeth. Huh. So, like, he brought... And th- th- those songs, I mean, that that's sort of the, the device of the song yeah, is so good, yeah. and those are all songs that he loves. And, you know, he wrote... He picked out those songs before he started writing the movie, before he started rewriting the movie. So he, like, so sort of put himself... In there, in little ways, like there's that great scene where it's so quick, uh, you just see Rocket Raccoon's back, and he's got these like weird, yeah, Yeah. like metal things and scars in there, and you just get that character so quickly. And what would be like a cartoonish George or Binksy kind of you know, fast-talking yeah. asshole raccoon suddenly becomes very human in well, just one shot.
1: And you can tell because everybody says about a year in advance, they're going to make a movie with a raccoon. Like, the minute yeah. they go, the world goes, like, question mark, they're like, yeah. okay, they got it. Yeah. <laughs> in a way, it's like they do what, you know. Uh, you know, Pixar does this, I think, really well, which is constantly challenge what's working. Yes. Um, and I think, you know, we all try to do it. And I mean, again, I don't want to, you know, Fox, we do great, we do great stuff. Yeah. You know, I'm just kidding. No, but it is, it is in our, in our, it, our process is different. And certainly the, the sort of, um, you know, we're, we're, they make two movies a year. We make a lot more than that. But, I do think that the, you know, with In Case of Days of Your Past and, and the Apes movie, Donna of Planet of the Apes, we made the summer, which were both, I think. Those excellent. are both your movies? They weren't my projects. I but, spent the studio. Uh, Films. Yeah. Those were both great movies. Were, I mean, I thought they were both excellent. And I think Apes was, you know, very much Matt Reeves and, and like, Mark Bombak, the screenwriter. I mean, they just they did something bold. They were just going to tell the story of the apes and the humans were going to be a part of it. But yeah. the genuine emotional arc was was. It was a sort of similar um, risk, I think, that they took with um, the first Rise of the Planet of the Apes, which was you're going to make a movie, set in the present, but the main character is the chimp. Yeah. And like that's going to be real. Like, and it's, it was at the time, like you're like, is that going to work? Yes. Like, is that the Planet of the Apes that people remember or want to see? But yeah. what you realize is you have to sort of upset the apple cart in that way not just for the sake of doing it, you have to m- make sure you believe in the story and right. it actually feels But it means resonant. like
2: you're telling the story you want to tell rather than telling the story you think exactly. people want to hear. That's exactly what and it I is. And I think, I mean, I can't... A big budget action movie that you're watching and all you want is for no fighting to happen. Right. Like, that is such a different kind of big action movie most big action movies you're like all right let's get to it i was watching apes being like i hope they don't fight i just don't want them to fight and i think that's What we realize is, movies that have that sort of personal vision to them are the movies, not just that make money, blah blah, blah, but the movies that stick around. I mean, you you look at Ghostbusters, and that's a very specific, unique vision, and it's still around. I mean, Indiana Jones, it's still around, and that's why I think these apes movies are going to be around. That's what I love about Guardians of the Galaxy, and you know, I've been thinking a lot about, as someone who sort of you know works in TV and stuff and watches a lot of TV and movies. I mean, I love this stuff. Because of the internet, it seems like, and there's so much like content now. I hate that word content. <laughs> but there's so much stuff now that you don't really, like you said, you don't have to make something that really appeals to everybody. You could just do stuff that and really target your audience. So there's people on YouTube who have 5 million followers that I've never heard mm-hmm. of or making millions of dollars and, you know, 14-year-old kids are watching it or whatever it is. And I think that's cool. It's cool that you can target your audience in that way. But what I miss then is shows like Seinfeld that mm-hmm. are, you know, that your grandmother loves, yeah. that your parents love, that everybody watches and everybody loves, or like friends, like shows that are phenomenons like that, or like, you know, X-Files. But I think you get that more now in movies. That's where you have to look to. Like I think yeah. Guardians is a movie that my my parents would love, you know, and I love, and uh, I think all kinds of people would love. I think at best, that's what movies can do, like apes too.
1: Yeah, I think they, they can, although it's an interesting thing because I think with television, um, I feel like the network dominance of must-see TV of the 80s, certainly, where it was like, they were programming your life, you know, there was like, you had to be there to watch the Cosby Show and you had to be there and then to watch Seinfeld and like, they were national conversations and I think in a, I don't feel like the world is going back to that ever in terms of certainly in television. But television does feel like the most sort of growth. There's an incredible amount of growth in TV because of it's the most naturally suited for all of these different platform conversations about how is it going to be, who's making it, how is it going to be distributed. Movies, the the old old media, as I like to refer to my job, um, is I think incredibly, still very incredible. It's still incredibly powerful because, and I would argue that our Um, biggest asset or most important thing is theatricality, is the idea that whether it's a big science fiction epic movie and visual effects and 3D or whether it's, um, you know, a paranormal activity or something that, you know, it's not necessarily a factor of budget, but the idea that you have to go to the theater to be part of that conversation or you have to go to the theater to have that experience in the case of a paranormal activity with your friends. Right. You know, and that that's, there's a reason to go out not just what we, what we can't take for granted anymore is that film in cinema is sort of so much the national pastime that they're just going to go. We just put out some big movies and they're going to go. Right. that's just not the case anymore. They're too expensive. And they're as, as expensive as they are to make. They're certainly expensive to go to. And you look at sort of what's being delivered to you at home, whether it's oh, HBO or great AMC. great stuff. It's like, man, it's awesome. And yeah. the production value has finally caught up, certainly in the HBO case. Oh, yeah. I mean, look like, at Game of Thrones. Movie. I mean, it's like, jeez, I'm looking at that yeah. I'm kind of like, well, geez, And Game of Thrones was, you know, d- debated as a movie for a while as well in various places. And the problem, when you look at the show, you realize, well, you, you couldn't Can't ever do, do justice that. by that because yeah. you needed that, not only the serial format to tell as many hours of that movie, but you needed the, the sort of amplitude. You needed to, modulation to be able to tell a story that was like, you know, that was that had supernatural elements, that had sex, that had politics, that had dragons. You know, you're like, wait, in a movie, you're sitting here going, all right, well, who is this for? Because you're spending a ton of money to say, like, well, you know, this is a, this is a, is it like Lord of the Rings? Is it like this? Yeah. It's, you wouldn't. What is it
2: meets what? yeah. Yeah.
1: And I think, and that's, look, and that's a, that you could argue that's part of the problem, but I also think that there's, uh, the format is better suited for certain things meaning certain kinds of I mean you can make a really nuanced film obviously and you can make an adaptation of I thought the Lord of the Rings films were the best some of the best adaptations oh. Oh, yeah. beyond of all time but I think Game of Thrones would have been incredibly challenging because you just wouldn't have been able to no. sort of be as faithful right to to the book but what I love about
2: and Game of Thrones when it's out it's like part of the conversation and you know with Netflix it it's interesting what happens is Orange is a New Black comes out, people binge watch it in two days and then there isn't that two month long conversation mm-hmm. about it. You know, it just sort of comes and then it goes. And I, yeah. and I, that's why I like doing this show. I like, you know, having this conversation slowly and people get to watch along and, you know, a lot of times people will be like, Hey, I'm all, I started watching it yeah. and now I'm in season four and I'm like, don't. Do that. Right. Just watch it right. with us. Right. Like I love the conversation.
1: I love talking about it's these funny. shows. You are doing it. It's like you gotta wait. It's like week to week. Wait, you're up week to, to week, dude. Dwayne Barry and Ascension or tomorrow. That's yes. when your podcast drops, and I cannot wait. I think I told you that. Did last you watch night. him? Oh, oh yes, I, of course. You're, yeah, you're yeah. No, I restarted, but Dwayne Barry's always been. I mean, from the beginning, It's my favorite two-part. I mean, I think. and that guy,
2: Steve Railsback, is his name. Yeah. Amazing in that yeah. role. Uh,
1: but let's talk about the episodes you we have. Are Dwayne Barry a liar?
2: <laughs> that, I say that a lot, and no one knows. No one knows what you're talking what about. Talking about. Well, we're going to bring it back. Uh, so we're talking about two episodes. The first one is Aubrey, and the second one is Irresistible. Now, Irresistible—so exciting for me. I'm sorry, this is so cool. This is great. I love Thanks your podcast. So I get to be on it. <laughs> it's insane. Um, Irresistible is an episode to me. Like to me, that's a classic. Mm-hmm. That's a Stone Cold classic. Aubrey, what did you think of Aubrey? Aubrey is the one. I'll do a quick recap. Uh, it's basically the one where they sort of make a case that there's also genetic memory, not just uh stuff that you're born with some but somehow stuff that you've done also becomes part of your genetic makeup and can be passed on to your kids so it's the serial killer who got away with it and now his granddaughter it turns out at the end is, is committing these crimes. That's the episode. It's got Terry O'Quinn in it. Yes, which is cool. Uh, Locke from Lost yep. and a ton of other things. What do you think of this episode?
1: Um, I, I thought it was a bit of a mixed bag, to be honest. Yeah. Because I felt like there was the genetic memory idea is really interesting and provocative and ex files worthy. Um, I think there were, and I think it's interesting because now I think about these shows based on conversations you have had on the show because they're actually really astute observations about how the show is constructed and how sometimes there are um, extra elements added to an idea and that you could have a show about one idea genetic memory yeah whereas in this case you've got this woman i mean it's a great show the idea that the woman itself who's having the dreams turns out to be the killer is awesome yes but it's there's a little bit of a logic leap where the genetic memory is not only giving her the flashbacks of this thing, meaning she knew where the body was a great moment where she sort of goes out into the field and digs up a body. Right. And the great X-Files mystery of like, well, how did she what know happened? where yeah. this was? And we get to see through her point of view that she had this inexplicable, you know, sort of vision. That's one story yes. where you say, how do you solve that crime? How do you pin the crime on the guy? You found out who he is. The second story is not only does genetic memory give you some actual supernatural, you know, connection to the crimes, but makes you compelled to continue the work right which is that's a leap which is a, a leap again a movie i think or a show or a story on its own and i think in a way you know the the it, it required and i and i think you know had some great tons of great bits in it and i think yeah. like they're awesome and and Terry Quinn's oh, Terry Quinn is great um some great scully uh you know columbo moments where she's like knows the woman is pre she like knows she's having an affair.
2: Oh yeah, she knows she's having an affair. She knows she's pregnant. And Morgan yeah. goes, How do you know? And she's like, a woman, woman can, can sense ch- this I
1: was like, oh, really come on guys? guys. It's yeah. it,
2: it's clearly it's a forty five minute episode yeah. and you can't have them get the information. But they're basically deep throated that. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're like, oh yeah, she's pregnant and it's called just it, knows It was it. a
1: little, you know, I mean it was it was it was like I say, Columbo used to always be just the hunch. Yeah. And I um but Oh, just, I had written a couple of things just for fun because the the I love that moment where Terry Quinn says, so they reveal that you know she knows about a case. The case is connected to something that's really happening. The the somebody is the killer had carved the word "sister" into yes. the bodies. Yeah, and so what we don't know, what Terry <laughs> Quinn tells us, is that that's happening now, all of a sudden. Again. Yes, and there's this great moment where he says. Yes. He says nobody but me and this other dude knows it. Yeah. And then two seconds later, this guy's like runs in and goes, "There's another one. <laughs> that's the like, dude. <laughs> I hope that's the dude. I was like,
2: only two of us know this.
1: But it was just the literally the, the staging of it. It was like yeah. he buzzed right in. He's yeah. Like, that guy and that's this
2: big moment I also thought it was funny because they find the old dead body right yeah. of the guy who was the investigator who um, was the first like profiler yeah. basically yeah. and they can't figure out what the word on his chest is so all these women have the word sister written on it and it takes them a good five <laughs> minutes to figure out that the word is brother well she tells them yeah she tells them She's she like, has like a she has a vision you don't need a vision yeah. I would be like your first guess should yeah, be brother, brother. just, just way, see maybe it's brother
1: it didn't actually Matter. mean anything like, i mean
2: it didn't it means know. nothing it means nothing other than it's the same guy what i did like is that that guy who's uh originally committing the crimes and writes sister on yeah. it on their chest i did like that they don't really connect too many dots about why he's writing that mm-hmm. um i thought that was like a fun little mystery like he's a fucked up guy this right. is what he does and at some point he started getting pills and that fixed him or something still creepy but yeah
1: and creepy guy. By the way, like the great. show was directed. I mean, it's is it Rob? Wasn't it Rob? Bowman? Yes, Rob yeah. Bowman who directed the first movie. Um, really well it has directed. Has all of that sort of texture and and the guy's house and the way he sort of you know the guy's house there is great with the oxygen tank. Yeah. and it was sort of super creepy. But I think it was you know the only two other things that I was sort of I bumped about a little bit was like you know so the woman Mrs. Thibodeau has the address of the adoption agency in a photo like in a picture on yeah the she wall. just has it right there she's like i have this here and i want to <laughs> give it to you and this is what like i could have they could just looked it up and be yeah. like because that would have been a comeback from commercial and to be uh, like something. i found out where the yeah. thing was where she said it was but she it was
2: literally just, has it two steps away from where they're having the conversation yeah because they were like we i'm sorry we're we're losing daylight yeah. we are we gotta yeah. get this just, right it's now. right there
1: and it's in a picture for, <laughs> yeah it's no in a reason, picture but, it's right there um and i did think the woman uh would uh be, bj is the BJ, what Mulder
2: says, I'm always intrigued by women named BJ. Yeah. that's the line he says to Scully. Well done.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it was a strange, yeah, it was a strange choice. But there's a she she was awesome. Like when you do reveal sort of her sort of mania version, yeah. like it was creepy. Like for no, sure. she was good. But sorry, I don't need to make it for the episode because it was really it was just moments oh, no, no, where I'm no, like, this is perfect. Okay, you know she's she's going um, Mrs. Thibodeau sort of at the kitchen sink, and she's coming at her with a knife, and this woman's like 70. Yes. And she's able to grab a bottle of ammonia.
2: Yeah, and just throw it. And yeah. unscrew, you know, just sort of <laughs> throw it That's at right. her. That's right.
1: And it's like, how slow is she is the, yeah, the woman coming removing? yeah it's yeah like, she's like i'm
2: coming at you yeah. with a knife although i guess if i'd gone through what that old woman gone through i would keep open bottles of ammonia true. all around me That's true. That's like true. signs just to like hey if this happens again i'm ready yeah, now it was
1: cool that they did it on the landing you know the whole the whole threat was sort of in the same moment where she was like it happened right here and it was oh like, yeah yeah that, yeah, that was, was cool kind of and
2: I, I i thought that the world's fair tie in was pretty cool yeah uh, it actually the, the, was cool. The drawing, sort of the abstract drawing, uh, I thought that was cool. I did, I had this thought that, and then this also sort of ties into Irresistible later, where it's like, if you're a creepy serial killer... All you have to do is not live in a really creepy-looking house. Right. Just get like a colorful, right. nice house. This right. house, you see, like oh, clearly there's a there's a fucking right. murderer in there who got away with it. That was a great-looking house,
1: but it was like two. I think you guys have brought up this up before of how you know the the, the sort of shadow of sounds of the lambs and and how it sort of hung over these stories and yes. the culture for a long time. Certainly, and it's like you know, James Gum's house was a. I mean, it was part of the point, like, you, yes. you know, the pleasures of the movie are, you're stuck in a well, I mean, pleasures, I mean, of the tension of it, yes. it's like, that's the place that's from your nightmares, and, yes. you know, to do that on a TV level is still really cool, it's just, but you're right, it's like, kind of, you, you can't take care of, like, the main things, which are just don't be a complete, you know, suspicious person. Sort of dude on the. End he of the also plot. calls her like sister. Like yeah. come, don't.
2: If you're a oh, yeah, serial killer, sister. he calls her little sister. Yeah. If you're a serial killer who got away with it and would carve a word into the chest of the women that you killed, be sure to never use that <laughs> word in your life.
1: Don't. <laughs> don't, or at least don't pick use something that. else, or like just yeah. What's the? But they yeah. don't really
2: went into pick sister. a word that you don't use all the time, like guava or something, yeah. and then yeah. just never say it in real life. Yeah. Yeah, like a, word, a safe word. That be should like be like a safe word.
1: Two, it shouldn't be a word that you're using all the time. Porcupine. Yeah. Uh, inexplicable. Like something that's, <laughs> inexplicable like, is I mean, great. I couldn't rally fast enough. But something would be so... I was thinking of something that would need like extra rows. Yeah. Like on the... Repeat. yeah 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 like a couple sentences
2: like hey listen i've already killed her it's gonna take a while to yeah. get this yeah and just, can you hang out to, yeah just, you know and maybe his handwriting gets better as right. he goes like as you could see he's getting better with a knife and yeah. writing
1: it's plain yeah
2: i thought that was weird that he just says that word but
1: the other thing and you guys have uh, i think you got brought this up with Devin, which uh, made me go back and think about some episodes where um I'm giving Devin too much credit. No. But, um, where the idea that we, there are some episodes, particularly the sort of um, non-mythology um, myth arc episodes, where they actually don't affect the plot at all, meaning oh, their, yeah, yeah, yeah. their uh, involvement in the case simply serves to sort of evince the the thing that's happening and to ex- exposit what's going on. But yeah. like in this movie, you know, they don't they stop exactly zero murders. They don't stop <laughs> Mrs. Thibodeau from getting attacked. Right. Like. The only time it really gets serious is when Mulder himself is sort of inserts himself and she jumps, hits him with the. Yeah.
2: And that was a rewrite I found in the production notes. That was like rewritten right at the end. Oh, really? To get, I guess, to get them involved in some way.
1: Well, but then I was like the other thing that Scully, she's got a razor to Mulder's neck. Yeah. Scully would have drilled her within 0.5 seconds. Yeah. Of that, yeah. Like with that, and actually I thought I started thinking of like, would that have been cool? Like in a weird way, to just been like, Scully kills. It, you think it's gonna be one of those things yeah. where she, because the guy died, uh, the serial killer, original serial killer, you get like they didn't stop him from getting killed. No, he they don't do anything. But I actually just sort of wanted that moment of like, you know, this woman. You think it's that episode? You know, it's like, are they, and she starts thing, and are they gonna talk her down? That Scully's just like. Boom. Yeah, and just drills her, and it's yeah. like she's on Mulder with a razor, straight razor. Yeah, anyway,
2: I, I think this—we're in this weird zone right after you know Dwayne Barry and yeah. Ascension, where one breath was Scully's been through some shit. Mm. So then there's so all good. these episodes where you'll see in the next one more than this one, in Irresistible, what Scully sort of uh, the emotional fallout of what she's been through is sort of being played out over a bunch of these episodes, but then these episodes. There's a run of episodes right after Mulder and Scully are reunited Mm. that just aren't as good as you want them to be. Like, they just don't grab you the way you, you, you... You want it to be like, all right, they're back, now explode. And it doesn't happen... Until irresistible, I think that's yeah. the first great episode since they're retained. So,
1: well, there was Firewalker. Was that before or after? That was yeah. after, yeah. After
2: Firewalker, I think is the first one after One yeah. Breath.
1: Because she says he's like, "I'm not ready to go back." Yeah, and he's like, "Let's go." I mean, and you're not ready to go back. And yeah, he's like in and one sentence, like, no. they
2: figure out, yeah. like, "All right, now let's let's yeah. let's go do this." That's fine. Uh, it's Firewalker. It's Excelsis Day, which mm-hmm. is the Ghost Ray mm-hmm. point where also again Scully mm-hmm. sort of being a victim a couple episodes ago. There's some, you know, mirroring happening in that episode. Um, and then what's the other one? It's uh, Red Museum. That's a weird one. Oh, and three. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, three. Are yeah. you doing that one? Yeah. I'm not skipping any okay, of them now. Good. Just to I just want to hear out. that
1: one. I want to hear your... Yeah. yeah. Uh, three is a... Um, it's, well, we won't spoil it. for. Yeah. For, I honestly
2: talked to... Glenn, I wanted to ask Glenn Morgan about it because mm-hmm. he rewrote that episode, but I, I, I didn't.
1: Well, you realize it's on. like they had to... They obviously had a bunch of things to shoot when she was... I guess was she pregnant? I mean, they had to shoot without her, right? Yeah, and like it was a pure Mulder, yeah. sort of on yeah. own sort of thing. But, yeah, um, but yeah, I think it's something. It's also just an interesting point about the show at this time, which was you know I don't remember. I mean, I don't know for sure, but what we take for granted now about season arcs and sort of shows that are oh yeah, designed, it's totally new then, but that they were actually. Contiguous details of a, you know, she, you know, they reference her father passing. They reference things that's even right. before um, she's been put through the
2: ringer. Yeah, but
1: the shows, even the non-mytharc ones, would acknowledge the passage of time, but acknowledge right. like they even say in the difference, you know, the from season one to season two, it was like that was in October, that was in April, and now we're in October. Yes. And you actually felt like, wait a minute, this is a this is a a discrete world that's yeah. like going on and. The characters are
2: changing. It's not like a hard reset at the end of every episode. Glenn Morgan said, you know, because rewatching season one, I realized that um, all the Alien episodes Mm -hmm. didn't really connect the way that they had in my head until the end of season one. Mm -hmm. They don't really start developing into like a mythology storyline until the end of season one. And I was like, so did you guys know you were going to do that? And he said, no, Scully, I mean, Jillian Anderson got pregnant so we had to come up with a reason for why she wasn't around for a few episodes right. in a row. Right. So said, they said we had to come up with a storyline that would stretch across episodes. And he says that is the true genesis right. of the myth arc. It's out of necessity. We did that because we had to. And then right. that became you know, the movie and that became the story of the X-Files. It came from just her being pregnant at an inconvenient time for production. Wow. That's, that's how that's that cool, happened. I mean,
1: But it is. It's like... But the, the, to, the, they found, and especially, you know, that's why I'm so excited for Dwayne Barry and Ascension, just sort of that, you know, in terms of their relationship, them choosing, certainly in the second season, to really um, highlight and focus on the nature of their relationship yeah. and still keep it a platonic ideal. You know, the idea yes. that, that, that it didn't need, it had sexual chemistry, but it was intelligent it was the the true idea of partnership which was someone is going to be there for you and it's the you're the only person i trust which the show and chris and everybody was saying that is the most important value guys like it's nice when men and women are attracted to each other and it's nice to be able to watch television to sort of vicariously you know participate in that but like a show about intelligent people who are partners in a way that they are they will always be there for one another, right? And that, and everything else, is sort of becomes the way the story goes, of course. But like, right, that's that's why I always sort of the shipper sort of phenomenon always was interesting to me. It's it's it is interesting because
2: it's it's becoming more and more of a conversation in the message board. So what I what I do? Oh, they had a good like, what was the Waldo thing that they they have a conversation and she's he's like, and then you know. Uh, he's like, they are twins and they're separated and then in different parts of the world, they both named their kid Waldo and he makes this huge point and she just goes, Waldo? It's such a funny <laughs> little moment. They have like a great like little back and forth and even though this episode, like you said, has all these, you know, sort of problems yeah. and leaps of logic, but their core chemistry, yeah. their back and forth is fun to watch
1: and it's really good. Well, I want to do a drinking game where you drink, you have to, anytime Scully says, what's your interest in this case? You got to drink. Yeah. You you're fucking in this drunk. Case? Yeah, exactly. Are you saying. Yeah. So, drink. what's your interest in this case? Because it always, the season two, they're coming to them from like sort of strange, like just random, like, well, my friend down oh, in. Oh, my God. Yeah. The
2: way that they They have to work so hard to get the, the, the case on Warner's yeah. desk. They have to work so hard to do that. Uh, I wrote down, the house is great. So, now this one, this is interesting. So, this guy, Darren Mooney, who uh, actually. Reviewed the first season, and I would read excerpts of his reviews because mm-hmm. I really liked his reviews um, start and he didn't review anymore. He started reviewing it because of this podcast mm. so and I really like his reviews and um what he says about it is interesting. I do think he's giving a little too much credit to this episode, maybe maybe he's um adding um, uh intent where there wasn't any. Uh, he's he talks about how this genetic memory thing. One of the things he talks a lot about X Files being is sort of people uh, paying for the sins of you know our grandfathers. Mm-hmm. Basically, he he talks a lot about how World War II really changed America and killed the innocence of it. And he says this episode is about you know he says this sense that modern American history only began following the Second World War is cemented by the reference to the symbols of the 1939 World's Fair sketched almost an abstract from a half-remembered dream. The New York World's Fair took place between 39 and 40 and offered a glimpse into the future that was somewhat overshadowed by the outbreak of the Second World War. As such, Aubrey seems like an episode meditating on the uh, loss of innocence that the X-Files associated uh, with the outbreak of the Second World War. Uh, he talks about uh, Aubrey is very much an episode about the legacy of evil, the aftermath of horrific events. Harry Coakley might be a lonely old man trapped in his own house, but his evil deeds continue to have consequences. His crimes, tucked away and forgotten, left a lasting impression. Uh, so he sort of talks about how this is. Wow. He's really. You should have him on the show. He's well, really smart. That's he awesome. lives in Ireland or something. Oh, well, But will fly him out. Yeah, he's That's, really.
1: I mean, that, that sounds very interesting very astute.
2: yeah and it's uh, it's a very interesting way of looking at it you know the, the genetic memory you know you talk a lot about how like we fought world war 2 and we won and we forces of good and then if you find a well Tuskegee and we mm-hmm. actually mm-hmm. the americans actually did stuff that you thought we were fighting against Right. and he says that this that, that sort of paralleled in the old man and then the you know the the grandchild uh, still paying because right. there's a part where the old lady says to Bj, this is not your fault. Mm-hmm. It sort of takes away culpability away from her. So mm-hmm. in a way, that she's a victim too. Uh, and I think it's that we, because we enjoy the benefits of sort of the evil stuff that was done uh, in World War Two and stuff like that, that we're in a way. Uh, just as guilty or at least implicated in the mm-hmm. guilt of, you know, these, these horrific things that happened earlier. Wow. So so
1: that makes it a, more of an interesting. No, that's it. I feel like I need to watch it again. That was really, that's actually very interesting. Yeah. I think it's, it's, um, Hmm. I'm just trying to think of it from the, the, the guy, meaning the, the sort of killer in, you know, cause they had, you saw him as a young man, yeah, he's got Both some sort of face thing. Too, in yeah. the past, in her in her vision, I guess. Yes. And then he appears in sort of her bedroom. And the twist is that actually he's in her, meaning that he's genetically sort of part Controlling of Controlling her. her, yes. But that, I'm just, it's an interesting, meaning I think the, I wonder about it's, uh, I don't know if Sarah Charno, I think that's who wrote the episode, did. Um, that's right. Do you know her? Uh, no, 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 I don't. Yeah. And I was curious, you know, was this an episode. Did did she pitch this? Meaning, was this one where oh they had an idea uh-huh because it fits into that what I think he's commenting on, which are which are the the overarching themes of the X Files and the right. points that I think Chris they probably were very aware of that the connection between right. post war America, the Cold War, the nuclear program, the German scientists, all the things that we right. sort of were, were were products of of victory quote unquote. But I wonder, I'm curious because like, she, she doesn't seem to have worked on. Um, I don't know if she's worked on other shows, but is that an idea that you come in and pitch? R- right. You know, or is that like, oh, we have this idea about, you know.
2: Yeah, it's that is an interesting question. Is it something that they like farmed out to her or was she like, hey, I know you guys like this sort of yeah. stuff. So here's something that sort of fits in with things you guys have already been talking about and commenting on. Um, uh, do you... Have anything more to say about the episode before I go to the message boards and all of that? No,
1: this is my favorite part, message
2: boards. Uh, Yeah, well, before that, I'll say it got a ten point two, which was be huge today. Uh, Chris Carter really liked this episode. He said it came out great. Uh, Rob Bowman came through for us and uh, did an excellent job. Rob Bowman really liked the scene where BJ wakes up and she has the blood on her chest Mm -hmm. that she's carved sister Mm -hmm. into her own chest. I guess is what you find out later. That was a creepy fucking scene. Yeah. That that was a really scary scene when she's alone in the house and she thinks the the young version of that guy is there, co and stuff. Mm-hmm. That was a really creepy, very well-directed scene. Rob Bowman Rob was really good.
1: I mean, Rob is... I mean, I think he's... Obviously, he's done a lot of features as well and he did the movie, the yeah. first film. But, like, to do what they... Just hearing the stories from those guys, from, from Frank and Howard, I mean, just... Because I would sit there and ask them questions yeah. all the time. Like, what they were able to do in Vancouver for the amount of money that they had to rely on on you know david nutter and to rely on oh uh, david nutter and rob bowman but they just were i mean they were filmmakers i felt like and they were actually you know interested in making something great and using Mm. the the environment in 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 vancouver but also the the local sets those houses those and making it as sort of atmospheric as possible which i can only imagine on a Fox TV budget wasn't yeah, you know, easy. Yeah, not easy. Well, and it
2: was so... I was talking to Glenn Morgan, and um you know I was like, so if, when you guys were doing the show, were you like, oh, we're really doing something? Or did it feel like you were making something? And he was like, no, we were just making stuff we wanted we like, to see. Yeah. He said him and James Wong had to like come up with an idea that was an alien, and they were just sitting in a room, and they were like, hey, what if that great someone came out of that like mm-hmm. little crawl space. Right. There. Like you just right. see screws turning. Tombs. Yeah. And they're like, that's how we that's came up with awesome. Tombs. They just were writing stuff that they wanted to do. And I think that's what, you know, Rob Bowman and David Nutter brought yeah. so much style to it because they were, I'll tell you a story that he told me off the record uh, after this. That's okay. really, really good. Sorry, guys. Uh, sorry, guys. You'll never know. Um, so they like this episode a lot. Oh, and so here in the message boards, this is what is happening is, you know, this. The shippers, but then there are also people saying, this one guy wrote a really long thing. I'm not going to read all of it because it's it's really, really long. He's talking about how he thinks the story is going to be that Mulder is not in love with Scully, but that Scully is in love with him. Hmm. Uh, and I think maybe he's misreading stuff because they clearly have affection for each other and they just display it in different ways. It's not romantic yet, but he says seems like Dana is often touching Fox in little intimate ways, like ruffling his hair, holding his hand while Mulder seems more like a non uh tactile guy uh She's also been the one for the most part to keep trying to see him when the x files was shut down uh and he you know he he says that uh Mulder sort of you know in three has sex with other people and mm-hmm. stuff, and Dana never does that. Um, So he's just sort of speculating. It's interesting to see people speculate where they think this relationship is going and adding in stuff that to me wasn't really obvious, but people love the show so much. They're like, you know, overanalyzing everything.
1: Well, it's interesting after um, Dwayne Barry and Ascension and, and One Breath, it's like you definitely see Mulder, I think, turning a corner. Certainly. In his sort of feeling, the idea of almost losing her. Yes. Was weirdly never on his mind. Like the idea of losing the X-Files was the thing he was most afraid of. Yeah. And what he sort of comes to see is that she's actually more important. He can't quite right. articulate it or, or understand right. it. And there's that, th- I think, in, in in Ascension or whatever it was, where he was supposed to be at his apartment to deal with those two guys, but he went to go see Dana instead. And when she woke up or was that one, one breath? breath? Yeah. yeah. And it was like, that it was a strange choice. It was like beat the apartment to stop the guys or go, you know. But it was him making a choice for her away from his quest. his quest, right? And that's you know, I think you you didn't see Mulder, even though he was always very. He's a very remote guy. He uses humor. He uses sort of his oh, personality sure, or, yeah. to keep people at a, at a distance. He's used to being. Speak- I mean, there's that Mulder. line where he
2: says, "Even my." I even made my parents call yeah. me Mulder. Yeah, it's great. When she calls him Fox. Yeah. And
1: the, the, even the spooky Mulder thing, it's like you feel like he wears it oh, he in likes a way it. to be like, I go and I tell the people when he goes into Toomes' trial where he tells them the oh, ridiculous yeah. thing that you know is like the worst way to get yeah, the Yeah, he dares you to believe him. He dares you to like him. Yeah. Like he's like, he's kind of a dick. Yeah, he's kind of a dick. But yeah. with her... You, you see in that in those three episodes and it's sort of interesting because it's very subtle and it's probably the performance. I mean, I'm sure David and Jillian brought a lot of this to the performance of just, he's vulnerable. And it's one of the first times you really see him when he goes to see her in the hospital and he's like...
2: Oh, that scene is so great. I I told when I was talking to Glenn Morgan that scene when he comes back and just... It's such a quick little exchange where he's like, hey, just want to say hi, you're yeah. up. He doesn't say anything that emotional, but... Yeah you could see that to him being able to talk to her yeah. means so much, even though it's like a 30 second conversation where really nothing is discussed, but it's, it, it, you know, it's like episodes. It's, it's from the moment where he glimpses a, you know, a grainy picture of her in the trunk of Dwayne Barry's car. Yeah. That's the last time he saw her. And yeah. now again, he gets to speak to her, you know, days later.
1: Well, you could say, and this is a, a kind of global thing, I think, I've always sort of thought, felt this way about it, which is the show is about, on some level, you know, are we alone? You know, his quest, yeah. his fear is right. being alone. Right. Their idea that he's everything was taken from him, his sister, and so he's grown up, you know, Bruce Wayne style, like to be the best at what he does, but because the search for being alone and feeling, and then actually the story is really about how to not be alone oh that's great you know? i hadn't even like, thought of that that's the tr- trust I mean, no one trust no one and yeah. and the idea that like you can't do these things on your own even though the idea of being the lone kind of voice in the wilderness is the is a romantic idea and the notion of like because to be vulnerable means to be hurt again like right something taken away it's from the him. lone cowboy and so he's that. like I'm going to go and prove my shit and my quest and my thing, you know, to sort of find my sister and all of that, but that the story is really about his learning to be vulnerable and sort of having a relationship. That's exactly and right. And it's, and it's over the course of the whole story of the show, the whole show. S- the whole show but yeah. It's what's, what, it's why it makes it better than sort of, it's why it's a classic. It's yeah. Like,
2: that's why it's not just, you know, f- it's not the story. It's, yeah. It's yeah. not
1: just pick your eighties. I don't know. There's got to be some bad science fiction show that was like aliens or something. I mean,
2: like there that. were a b- bunch of them there, but I don't know. <laughs> Manimal? Um,
1: no, Manimal was great. I know Manimal. Yeah. You know,
2: they're remaking uh, Manimal
1: and Auto Man the half hour block. I think it was like. Yeah, yeah I, was I loved Auto
2: Man too with Cursor. Yeah. I'll t- tell you the name of the guy who's Auto Man's friend and I'll blow your mind. What is it? Walter Nebucher. Why do I remember it? I don't know. I thought it was a cool name. kind of crazy. But I think Adam McKay and Will Ferrell are trying to redo Manimal Manimal? as a movie. As a comedy? Yeah. I mean, of course. That's a great idea. That's pretty funny, actually. Um, Another thing that's happening a lot in uh, these message boards, you'll, you'll see it here and you'll see it in the next one as well, is that people really, really hate that Mulder likes porn. People are mm. having a really bad negative reaction to it. And I talked about it in the last episode. I think part of it is that there's more of a stigma against yeah. porn before where internet becomes right. you know, such a huge porn distribution right. thing. So he says, this person writes a letter. This is, this is uh, for Chris Carter, is what it's called. Mm. It says, I realize that you do, do read this news group. And I have to say that one of the things you are doing is really quite disappointing. What I'm referring to is Mulder's obsession with porn. Uh, it seems that every episode now has a comment referring to this. For example, his fondness for girls named PJ, the tape that he had in the VCR, in mm-hmm. Excelsius Day. Uh, at first, it was an eerie little, uh, eerie little oddity, but if you look now, it looks like a pathetic attempt to follow and feed the stupid. Hmm. The first few references were great; they catered to some of your most faithful followers, but now it's lost its charm, especially since so it doesn't seem to be leading anywhere. Why should it lead somewhere? That's just a character thing.
1: The guy sleeps on his couch. I mean, yeah,
2: I know. What do you? I mean you know no, I mean whatever I don't Yeah I, don't, I think it's part of like him sort of being disconnected not being able to connect to actual people I think I thought it sun. was funny I mean I yeah. think I would
1: only imagine yeah. that they weren't trying to make a statement about it but no. they thought this guy is look how weird he is He's probably into yeah. porn and, this, and the and we'll talk about the sunflower seeds because the the was oh was that this This episode has okay, sunflower the origins. seeds that I can't believe I forgot about that that was the, the origin of the sunflower seeds, which I was like, I'd completely forgotten about.
2: The sunflower seeds yeah. thing? Yeah. he loves, yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, it is awesome. Because it's
1: like, you get you two and a half seasons or one and a half seasons in to the yeah. show and it's like, the fuck's this guy constantly eating sunflower seeds? Yeah. It, which just seems like an affectation that you just never explain and then you're like, oh wait, it's actually this weird sort of you know, poignant thing about his father and, like, what he remembers, it would make him feel safe because he knew his dad was downstairs eating them.
2: Yeah, it's such a great little scene. I think it is this episode. I thought so. I think it is this episode. Um, Yeah, so she, so this person really hates that. Um, And then other people are like, Mulder is a porn freak. They're just talking about it, how he's into sex and stuff and how that's okay. Um, Oh, and then this is a thing that, a lot of times it gets brought up now when people talk about the X Files, the joke that, uh, hey, why? you seen all this crazy shit. Why is she still not believing? And I think that's a joke. You sort of put that in your head in retrospect when mm-hmm. you're watching it, mm-hmm. it. To me, doesn't really stretch believability because just because you saw a vampire doesn't yeah. mean there's also fucking werewolves, you right. know? But this is the first time that I've seen this thought expressed. Uh, I'm a newbie. Who's been lurking around this news group for a while? I watch X Files re- lurking. Yeah, is that it's, the first the
1: first. That's known the first time I've seen the word, of the word lurking.
2: That's really cool. I didn't that's think awful. of that. I watch X Files religiously, except for reruns. And I was wondering if anyone else feels that after all that Dana has seen, her skepticism is a little misplaced. If I'm not mistaken, she is still portrayed as a non-believer after all that she has been through. I've realized there has to be someone to foil Mulder. But don't you think? Dana is no longer a good candidate. So that's like a thing that people always bring up now when I'm like, I'm doing a thing about the X-Files. That's the mm-hmm. thing that they always bring up. People who aren't like hardcore fans bring that up. That's the first time I've seen that thought ex- expressed hmm. here. But I don't, I mean, to me, she's a scientist yeah. and she just sort of goes through the rigorous process each time. Yeah, Mulder doesn't have that. Yeah, Mulder is more of a hunch guy.
1: Yeah, and I think, but but they do, there are always moments where they will switch like i think in this episode she has the hunch she has her own hunches about oh sure about the pregnancy BJ and the pregnancy yeah. but then there's the moment in the car where she's she's challenging him she's like cryptonesia like wasn't that this episode where she's she's um i thought i wrote down where oh yes that's right he's uh right she's pushing the alternate theories crystal cryptonesia and he's resisting yeah. it yes like where he thinks it's sometimes he gets really like when he doesn't think it's like a worthy case like a thing oh, yeah. that's really happening, he's just like this is not worth my time. Yeah, this is I mean just sort of
2: what's weird is I don't know if you saw the ghost rape episode before this. Yeah, I just I I, that one the same thing happens. Like where he's basically yeah. like that's not he's just very dismissive of a woman who's claimed that she's being raped, right. which is a very weird right. that is a that's it, it's- yeah
1: unfortunate that's unfortunate slightly okay. even in 94 do you give no excuse for that <laughs> yeah and, and no excuse for the um, bathroom that fills up entirely with water so much water without any they were just like this is the whole budget of the show yes yeah. we're gonna fucking fill this thing up so and much it's water it's going to be a high speed shot of the, <laughs> it's going to be in the trailer it's going to be the, yeah, the spot for the show it clearly like, was oh my god they're going to drown
2: apparently uh, i read i talked about this last episode they decided to do that 2 days before the shoot and it was a real nightmare oh to my like, god. pull off
1: but th- i wonder if they they must they had to have built that they, they tank it. i mean as a they
2: built it it was like 30,000 gallons of water or wow. something was the number i wonder if they were in a drought uh, same here we are <laughs> Uh, Let's move on to Irresistible, directed by David Nutter, written by Chris Carter. So now we're back into, you know, the crew. This is the episode with Donnie Faster, the guy. They they call him a death fetishist, I Mm -hmm. believe is the term they came up with. And um, that was a thing they made up. Uh, Really? Yeah, this episode they sent in a script. I'll read this real quick just because I think it's interesting. And initially he was a necrophiliac, straight up having sex right, right. with the dead people and they said it's the least notes they've ever gotten because the only note was this episode is unacceptable
1: <laughs> really
2: so they had to rewrite that and i think they had to re- so they had to make it more subtle oh, you know the hair and stuff and i think that actually ends up making it more specific and huh. creepier and weirdly less it, it makes it even less like human right because uh, you know, we've heard of, I'm not saying necrophilia is understandable. I'm sure. not saying that's a relatable thing, but I'm saying that's something we've heard of. The specific thing that this dude has, that's a new, weird yeah. thing. What did you think of this episode?
1: I thought it was awesome. Yeah. I think this is th- this episode, um, and it was one that I remembered, you know, when I started watching it again, I r- remembered how much I liked it when, when I was in college. And it's because you you really didn't expect, I mean, it was Chris, and I think it's actually some of the best writing Chris has done. Um, But you didn't expect uh, in lieu of the classic sort of X-Files setup, you know, such a thoughtful meditation on the nature of evil, but also the toll that it takes on on you and on the the people that sort of look into the dark. And I think that's so it wasn't just like we're going to do a stunt and we're just going to not make a supernatural thing happen. But actually, you know, when I remember watching it and thinking, God, I really don't um, buy Scully's sort of squeamishness at the beginning yeah. of the episode like you know they go and see these these bodies and you know yeah. it's in isn't it in Twin Cities I think it's somewhere in the Midwest. Yeah it's in it's in Minneapolis and, yeah um and and I'm like wait Scully's seen shit that like what is she you yeah. know kind of what's her problem and the more the episode goes on you realize it's it's because of the trauma it's the it not only references right. the her passing of her father and 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 the near death experience but like the nature of that post-traumatic stress yes. is a real thing. And the idea yeah. that we don't always sort of seek help for that, or we don't, Yeah, you know, and I think that was a really bold thing for the show to do in the midst of its sort of mythology and monster week, yeah. and sort of, you know, and to play with the point of view of the, the, which I don't know that they do very often where you see the, the demon and then you see the morphing faces and you see sort of a very, um, a filmmaker choice because it's, it's not, it's her, it's various points of view. You know, the, the, the right. undertaker in the beginning sees him as for second as yeah. the creature in, in, in shadow. Right. And then Scully <clears throat> towards the end sees it. And so it's, it's a macro sort of filmmaking touch yeah where you're like, whoa, like that's not explained. You don't ever go into the fact. She didn't say like, Oh, I saw a demon. It's just no. you, for you, the audience to experience the feeling yeah. of that, uncertainty of like what evil really means and what it looks like.
2: And I think what I what what I took from that morphing is that and I think sort of the point of this episode is that Mulder's narration at the end says in a way supernatural stuff is easier to understand yeah. than a very normal 100%. average guy yeah. who's evil. So you almost want to see a demon cuz you're like oh yeah it's a demon it's fucking evil yeah. but a regular guy who's so average that the prostitute can't even describe him yeah. he was so average that even though they got the guy and they're you know do you, you remember he's like behind them yeah. when they think they're interviewing the guy that they think is yeah. the serial he's killer in the jail,
1: he's in the jail cell he's
2: so average and so normal and so ordinary that you don't even suspect him that's way scarier. like truly banal evil yeah. is way scarier Next than a door. fucking demon and you almost want to see him as a demon because then that makes more sense to me I always think of this like I remember when you know they captured Saddam Hussein one of the things that they released was like oh he really likes Doritos and to me I think that was another way of them to be like well this guy who's done all this evil stuff that we have no way to understand yeah. but forgive him that oh he likes Doritos right. then it sort of in a way makes cool, him cute Cool Ranch yeah Cool Ranch <laughs> yeah, or <laughs> something to me like that was such a weird little detail that the media latched onto um and I think again, that kind of evil is something that you can't, you can't process. And then you suddenly you give him Doritos, and now he becomes yeah. sort of cuter. He becomes like a weird, quirky kind right. of thing. It right. weirdly becomes more understandable. And I think that's what I really connected with in this in this episode is. Uh, the the idea of someone who's so normal but then you know yeah, he, he could has, be your neighbor.
1: But it's the it's it and and he may be, actually. Right. But I think it's it is again, I think for the show to this show to take that on is weirdly bold because it makes its bones on entire no pun intended, on entirely different supernatural things. It's right. about the exotic. It's about the whole idea of the X Files is about something that's only these guys can do. Only Fox can do it. But you also realize like and this episode sort of brings you back, Fox was like a behavioral profiler. Like he's right. the real deal. Like he actually oh, he's great isn't just the dude who's like in the basement, you know, um uh with the poster. He was like a FBI serial killer profile. Like he's and, and badass, sort of seeing yeah. him in his element in that way yeah. is like kinda rad because yeah, just like he's he's not just like a guy that's good at one thing, quirky, interesting, like but he's he's sort of he put that intellect to use, you know, beyond just his own personal sort of crusade. He actually was doing stuff. Oh yeah. For, uh-huh. And wrote that monograph on, well, I forget the guy's name, the famous thing that he Popped, had
2: done. Mo- Mo- Monty Pop or something yes, like that? Yes,
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, and there's that moment where
2: he's like, all right, we have to get inside his head. It's not yeah. pleasant, but we yeah. have to do it. But you could see like, you know, for him chasing aliens is easier yeah. than having just a normal guy be a fucking nightmare person.
1: But that, that, That's what I thought. Again, the the power of of taking that position with Scully, who again, you know, you've seen her do see every she cuts up bodies every episode, like when and it doesn't even bat an eye, and she is so from the very beginning, she is incredibly anxious and unable to sort of deal with this. And I I remember, as I said, I thought like, oh, that's weird. And then the scene with the shrink, I thought was so. Perfect. so good it was so well written yeah. i think by chris and so well performed in that she's amazing in this she's episode amazing. and but you're you're getting into like some real stuff like this isn't just friday night you know alien television no. really in this episode this, this is a real character journey. this is a dark shit um there's a um
2: i thought that in the opening that guy, Nick Chinland, who plays Donnie Faster, one of the in the production. Deranged George McFly, as I call him. Deranged George McFly, because <laughs> yeah. George McFly would have been great at yeah. this. Crispin Glover. Crispin Glover would have been great. He is so good in this role. Yeah. This is a part I, I'll do this sometimes, where like, if, I, if there's a character I really like, I'm like, how would I? How would I? You'll do impressions? Not impressions, but I'll be like, how would I? If I had this audition, right? Like I thought of that with Tombs, you know. I was right. like, I have this auditions, I have these scenes. How do I play it? And when I saw him doing that, I was like, "Oh, this is a part I would never get." There's yeah. just something about him that is not. There's just like a quality about the way, like when he says, when the his boss at the you know funeral home says, "We'll keep the body o- overnight," and he looks so fucking excited for yeah. it, but he's like holding it in, but he's like excited.
1: Yeah, so creepy. He has a slowness to him. Yes, that's really graceful. No, I it's think it's like a calm to him. What it is, yeah. it's like he's very, um, meaning, you know, as 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 m- much as you imagine what's roiling in his his mind and these appetites that he has, he's so controlled <clears throat> with everybody, with the woman when he goes to Same the house. Same with Tombs, the right? They both have that quality. Toombs was quieter. Toomes, I think, was less sort of vocal. Yes, like I think Toomes, where he is, like he goes to the door to deliver the groceries, he's like hello i'm the new delivery guy yeah, can I watch may i come heads? in she's yeah. like did you take tim's route he's like he stopped there's like a second he's like yes yeah i did and it's the scene where he oh my god he's in the bathroom and he picks up and you're the like hair. no it's gonna happen because i thought he was gonna go to the shower and it's like in the wastebasket yeah I mean, that's creepy yeah i mean that's just scary i don't care who you are that is creepy and
2: that scene where he has the prostitute and he's on the phone and she goes in and she sees that he's made his room into like a, a graveyard or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, and he's just like, still, he doesn't like
1: hang up the phone. Yeah. He's he's just like
2: like talking really slowly. Like, okay, thank you. Like he finishes this conversation hangs up and then goes and kills her is
1: your hair dry oh, or oily
2: what a creepy and fucking thing it's just thing. like oh man. oh my god that is so good the idea because she's like nobody's ever asked me for that i yeah. bet she would be like can we just you want to yeah. just do anal or something yeah. <laughs> that is way <laughs> more appetizing for, for a bath. Yeah. Yeah. Way more appetizing than
1: whatever this is. And the idea of she's like, the bath is cold. Like, that's a weird part
2: of it. That's right.
1: Super creepy. But yeah, she comes in his bedroom and he has all of the funeral stuff. Yeah. The The funeral stuff. That's Uh, that's insane. And it's a great
2: scene. Like, the lighting in that scene is really good because he's at, like, on the left edge of the frame. And you just see the whole rooms like that. It's such a great reveal. And you see it from her point of view. And... What a creepy fucking, because there's also that thing of, you know, the last episode has, they talk a lot about, like, he's just born evil or something. But in this mm-hmm. one, right in the beginning, uh, the cop from, uh, wasn't that the guy from Hill Street Blues?
1: The, the field agent. Yeah. yeah. Who's the worst cop, I think, but in the world? He's right out of Fargo. I mean, I kind of yeah. loved him in that, like, there was a sort of. Like from the minute, the beginning of the episode, where Mulder basically says, I took this to get the Redskins tickets. Yeah. (laughs) Which I thought was genius. I was like, oh my God, this is the greatest episode of all time. Like, it's not even like. It, it's like it's so off that everything is sort of counter to what you expect, yes, which is what's so fun. Oh, about
2: yeah, it. yeah. I mean, that one they just luck into this, yeah. Well, well I wouldn't say luck no, into but he, this. He's like, I took, I really wanted to get the ticket, like, he wanted to go to the game, which is
1: kind of ridiculous, even for Mulder.
2: And it's also a great little way they show that they missed the game because the game's on the TV and then you say yeah. Mulder walk like, in, Burr. yeah. He's we just, pissed off, it's just a he little, actually has to
1: work, yeah. It's he's just like, a quick little thing, I gotta do some pro. And
2: I think it works because it's not one where they. They, they, it just happens to be supernatural. It's yeah. not. And that's sort of, this is them just dealing with the right. serial killer right. guy. Also a serial killer, I love. A guy, a serial killer who's just starting out. So he's not great at it. Like he yeah. gets caught before that. He's a guy who's not like great at being a serial killer yeah. yet. He's just sort of figuring it out. We haven't yeah, seen that. His approach
1: to the college girl was a little clunky, I thought. Right. It's like, that's he's your not plan? good at it. You're just going to kind of... In the Lunch. parking lot, like yeah. ask her for notes, yeah, and, and then, then just, put your hand on the car, and yeah. she's gonna knee you in the nuts. Like that's how that goes. Yeah, and he gets <laughs> caught. Yeah, and he gets He's caught. Not, not and good then like, at Released, like yeah. Just FYI, like cause...
2: well, because they, I read, you know, they basically, um, they, uh, who was the serial killer that they sort of based it on a little bit on Dahmer and Ted Bundy. They yeah. said because Ted Bundy approached vist- victims in campus parking lots. There's is, this is a reference to his mother living in Florida, which is where Bundy eventually oh. stood trial. And his grooming of dead bodies and implied necrophilia, Bundy, you know, would shampoo his victim's hair and apply makeup to them after they were dead. And Dahmer had the body parts found in the fridge. And uh, Dahmer was the one, right, who got caught. By the authorities, and they just released him because they thought know, it wasn't. They? I think it was Jeffrey Dahmer that that happened to. So they sort of took from real life the huh. stuff because I think what happened, I believe it was Dahmer, where this guy escaped and went to the cops and he was completely naked and he was gay. And the right. cops basically grabbed him and were like, oh, it's just lover stiff and right. delivered him back to the serial killer who then ended up killing him. Good work, guys. Yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure it was Dahmer. It's either Dahmer or Bundy. But, and they also, another one uh, and from the message boards, they, they mentioned there was a big case at the time in Canada that I had never heard of. Uh, but that sort of, I guess, was huge in Canada. And I'll tell you the name of the thing because I did look it up and it's a real bummer. This guy and I'm not gonna, so I'm not gonna read about it. But I guess it's up to you guys. Paul Bernardo was the guy's name. He also went by Paul Teal, T E A L E, Um, and it was him and his wife would commit these crimes. And it's like really gruesome, horrible stuff. You can look it up if you want to. But a lot of the stuff,
1: husband and wife team. That's
2: yeah. And their first victim was the wife's sister. Uh, and they, it was never even ruled a homicide, even though there was a lot of uh, evidence to the contrary. They didn't get caught for years and years and years, and they, he guy got caught and let go and, and stuff like that. So uh, it was a case that got huge in Canada, and a lot of the stuff in this episode seems to mirror stuff from that wow. case. So uh, X-Files, I think, is at its best when it takes little stuff from real life and then extrapolates, and extrapolates it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, it's... um. I thought the guy. I thought the field agent. I can't remember his name. The actor who plays the the yeah. I can't the remember because there's yeah. a moment where it's like he said something about finding where the where the mother lived, and he goes, "I don't know." Yeah, <laughs> like something where it was like, he's just he's terrible like, Do at his job. He just goes, "I don't know." Yeah, and then they call or they figure it out, but it was just the the fact that they took that moment where the guy's like. I I don't I just you know man we're Twin Cities like we're not yeah like, this, doesn't know, this doesn't happen over here but I I don't know I don't have a phone like I have a phone book um there's a, this one has a
2: uh, you talked about Mulder being a r- really good at being a profiler he's he says once he gets a taste of a warm body he's gonna want more so when they sort of first encounter him or mm-hmm. know of what he's been up to he hasn't committed a murder yet he's just
1: taken hair from the corpse.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's super creepy. It's right. no good. Yeah. And it's also weird that the girl is like underage, which I know necrophilia is horrible, but this is like necrophilia yeah. and... The Petters- girl in the coffin. Yeah, the, it, yeah. The, the first one. But Mulder's good enough to know like, oh, he's going to move on and right. we got to get him before he right. kills somebody. Right. They, they're they not successful. He kills somebody. Right. But again, like you said, it shows that Mulder's really good at, at this kind of profile stuff, not just alien shit.
1: And actually then it's they they miss him or they get the wrong guy and then and then he escapes or they release him yeah and he's gonna go after Scully yeah so I guess he does I mean it's it's different they are he is pushing the agenda meaning they are more involved in this one obviously because yeah I was just wondering if it failed that that test. Oh, of, that test of, of
2: that they don't do they anything. They
1: don't really stop anything, but they do ultimately. They do because yeah, they they, they do. get the guy. Yeah, yeah, they get the guy.
2: I thought that was a great little Scully moment too. Scully has nice hair though. I huh? she, nice. Is it dry or oily? She's, she's we oily. never found out. She's she enormous, never responded. Yeah. Uh, there's a great little thing, like you know, little stuff like the like I mentioned the the football game on the TV. Mulder walked in. That's a great little character thing. There's another great little thing that when they leave when Mulder and Scully leave the guy's like hey what was what was their name Donnie Faster asked him and he doesn't remember Mulder's name but he remembers Scully's name and he says Scully like the football announcer or something he says yeah yeah, yeah. that was great which I think is a great little way like it's not just convenient that he remembers one of the names he remembers it it, and you know why he remembers it yeah yeah, that's a great little like that's just good writing it's smart no it's very
3: smart
1: I forgot about that yeah that's a great little uh, do people call out the easter egg the 1121 Easter egg in the comments?
2: Yeah, people okay. people have figured that out, that it's his birthday, right? It's
1: Dory's birthday. It's Chris's wife's birthday.
2: And then he uses it. Well, it it's 1013 is his birthday, I it think. Is, uh, he uses his birthday, yes, too. Every now that's the production thing. company. But yeah.
1: 1121 is Dory's birthday, and it appears all over the show. In yeah, time,
2: people so. noticed first at the season one finale, because mm-hmm. it's the second time mm-hmm. that he used yep. it. People like, what does it mean? And they don't realize it's his birthday until... Right. A few months later, right. but by now people are like catching on to the little Easter oh, eggs awesome. and stuff. That's yeah, cool. it's fun little stuff. Uh, I like the phrase escalating fetishist. I don't know why. I thought, oh, he says, uh, oh, Mulder has a line of the thing that we were just talking about. It's easy to believe in aliens and UFOs than it is to believe in inhuman monster who preys on the living to scavenge from the dead. Like, yeah. that's just
1: good. This, this uh, uh, a Chris, man.
2: When he's on, there's, there's good writing really in this. Good. And that little moment where he's uh, doing the interview, he's interviewing for the job and he guesses the lipstick color, yeah. and she's
1: like, kind of yeah. like into him. She's S- like, I'm going to attach a note.
2: Yeah. So fucking creepy yeah. that the,
1: that this guy is so into makeup Especially that he's he he a funeral parlor yeah. mortician makeup guy. Like, that's how he, you know. Yeah.
2: Know. Yeah. Uh, is your hair treated? I thought we talked about that. Um, oh, when he goes in and she's like, we have three daughters. That was weird. Oh, like, he yeah. likes the the, the the daughters thing. What well, the monologue that she does when she's doing the autopsy with the uh, a, a body, everybody has a story to tell. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really yeah. good. That was a really poetic way of getting at what, you know, because showing an autopsy scene is hard. It's gruesome. Yeah. And it just feels like, uh, you know, it's just unpleasant business. But the way she sort of, Explains how you know the yeah. art of it. It was kind of beautiful, it was yeah. kind of
1: poetic. It's a lot of autopsies this season, by the way. Yeah, she's getting she's, she's getting... because she they can wear that. If she was pregnant, There can she can wear those, <laughs> yeah. the, the, that's the maybe the right. They have to too. oh, Scully, like the baseball
2: announcer. There's a baseball announcer, not a basketball announcer. Oh, the image of the pillow with the human hair coming
1: out of it. Oh my that's god, really horrifying. Anything about because it's 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 just. Like I said, the, ba- the, the wastebasket scene, I was just like, yeah. oh man, like that, yeah. just, there's a visceral skin crawling yeah. reaction you have to that. Cause he lifts it up and he like smells it yeah. and you're just like, that is, this guy's gotta go. Like, this is Yeah, okay. no,
2: this guy, we got to take yeah. care of him. He comes back much later in an episode. Uh, one thing, I, I remember loving this episode, but when I was re watching it, I've been thinking a lot more about it. And, you know, I've been thinking about X Files more critically because of this. The one thing that felt weird to me was it's Scully in Peril. Mm-hmm. And just felt a little, not sexist, and misogynistic, yeah. really, but, you know, Shades of that. She's a very strong character, but she's in this situation. So I was like, oh, that's, I, I don't know if I love that, but then watching this, Story-wise, it does make sense. She's the one who had the abduction happen Mm -hmm. to her. And she's the one, uh, logically, story-wise, it would have to be her in that situation. Mm -hmm. And she does escape. Like, you know, Mulder comes in and they rescue her at the end. But she's handling herself fairly well. She kicks kicks, kicks his ass.
1: I mean, I think, to me, it was... I agree with you in the sense that there's a lot... I think it happened more in the first season where it would be she'd be... In jeopardy, he would have to yeah, save yeah. her, but in this it 's so endemic to what the idea is, which is this guy chooses this stuff,, yeah. and he has this particular fetish, and it's women and and of course it 's going to be her, and that 's how you know yeah. the two of them. but the thing I thought was most powerful about it, watching it again as an as an adult, I guess or somebody yeah. now as you say, more critical of these things, and it didn 't really um Impact me as much. I think when I saw it when I was younger was the the idea that even the strongest of us can slip a gear once in a while, and that it's okay to ask for help, which was so sophisticated for this a show like this. I mean, not to say that it was sophisticated for the time or not. I just mean the show wasn't a wasn't premised on that. Yeah, I mean it was subtle in the sense that it was about their partnership, but that when she breaks down. Oh, to Mulder, and she so starts to say yeah. i'm okay yeah but it's but it's all in the, i don't remember the exact dialogue in the in the psychologist scene but it was it was so poignant and perfect and so yeah. not just it was not surface i guess right. that's what i mean is that you could do that story right. about you know oh this shit happened to me and like yeah i got abducted by who knows yeah. what and had a near the experience oh and my dad died like all right. this stuff was going on and she's like i'm fine but that that's what we do you know it's like there's that that thing that no no we can persevere yeah and i'm strong and I, and the, the point is she is a really strong character yeah but that asking for help yeah is an entirely different you know vernacular
2: yeah and there's a strength in that too and then she does discover that there's a there's a couple great Uh, things I thought of uh, that relate to what you're talking about. When she's talking to the therapist, she has Mm -hmm. that great moment where she's like, you know, I go and catch monsters. There's monsters out there. And, and I have faith that I can do that. And I need to have that faith again, that I'm good at my job, that I can do that. There's a great, then there's a thing where she's sort of not telling Mulder that she's having a hard time, but she's like, Hey, I think it would be better if I went back to DC And you stayed here and he's like, hey, if you want to, if you're having a hard time, I want to yeah. be the person that you can say that. To. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm, cool. I'm, I'm cool. And he's like, you know what? It is. He doesn't push it. He's like, it is a good idea. You should go back. And they he knows that she's having a hard time and he doesn't he knows she's not ready to expose herself in that way. And he's like, that's fine. Take your time. Yeah. You're right. It is smarter to go yeah. back. Then she has to come back. And at the end, they have that. Then he, she cries in front of him yeah. and
1: hugs him, and it's such a great. She's so great in that she's scene. She's so great, and it's and it's again, it is the idea of the not being asked, being able to ask for help, which is I think historically such a male centric storyline right. where it's like the dude who's too strong and doesn't know how to yeah. be vulnerable. That that's actually Scully, who is no less feminine in terms of her sort of look and her, but it's she's not, she doesn't need to be, you know the damsel in distress yeah. and yet it's like it's just about humans like it's yeah. just about being a person who it's actually because she's so proficient and and like again it's not even a qu- you never question the male female dynamic between them i mean you question right. the sexual dynamic but i mean the you never question the well is she kind of at his level of you know he does this and he's so unique and specialized, yeah. but what she does as a medical doctor and as a field agent is fucking like super specific like oh yeah that earlier episode where he was doing in um was it uh it was it was in the pilot i mean, sorry in the in the um in the little green men where he's doing that like half-assed autopsy yeah in in argentina yeah
2: where he's like i think the yeah died of fear yeah and great you realize boy, like
1: oh wait yeah she is really good at <laughs> she's this way better. like you actually kind of yeah. have to know what you're doing she's
2: yeah she's but, so great in that crying scene because like Right when he she gets she jumps right up, yeah after being attacked, they come in, and she jumps right up, she's like, "I'm okay, and he she like can't look at him it's yeah. so it's so good, it's yeah. so heartbreaking, she's amazing in that scene. This is what the 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 last lines that um Mulder says, you know he has the narration at the end, usually she does, but now it yeah. Uh, he does and this is what he says he says the conquest of fear lies in the moment of its acceptance which obviously Mm -hmm. relates to scully and understanding what scares us most is that which is most familiar most commonplace it's been said that the fear of the unknown is an irrational response to the excesses of the imagination but our fear of the everyday of the lurking stranger the sound of footfalls on the stairs the fear of violent death and the primitive impulse to survive or as frightening as any X-File, as real as the acceptance that it could happen to you. The fact that it's not an X-File is yeah. the scariest thing you, about this you episode. You did a very
1: good Mulder. <laughs> that was very good.
2: Man, I, I, I honestly was listening to um, the, the, this new D&D book came out, uh-huh. and uh, they had like different sto- small stories, short stories that were read by different people. Ice-D read one. Um and uh, Weird Al reads one. Dan Harmon, who I'm friends with, mm-hmm. reads one. And David Duchovny reads oh, one. Oh, really? So I was listening to David Duchovny's, and I just because I don't watch Californication, it just doesn't seem like a show I'd be into. I just haven't given it a shot. Uh, but I it like he's really good s- in it though. I mean, he's, I'm he's, sure he is, but it made yeah. me like hungry for yeah, 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 yeah. new David Duchovny. Yeah. Like so, I was like, oh, maybe I should watch it because he's just reading his narration and his voice is a little bit older, and it's just. It just sounds a little bit different, but it's still, you know, Mulder. It got me hungry for more, more David Duchovny.
1: Hungry for more Mulder. Uh, yeah. You've seen Why Won't You Love Me, David Duchovny, right?
2: Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. is there anything else you want to say about it before I move on to the uh, production um, notes and the... just first of all, who were the
1: other faces that morphed?
2: You know, I kind of meant to look it up and yeah. then I didn't. One of them obviously was a demon, yes, but then idea.
1: but I couldn't tell who those other guys were supposed to be in her life. Meaning, were they in her life? Were they people that appear? I mean, I just didn't. I was wondering if I it was know. like, if it was like non serial
2: killers or something. Maybe. If it was just to sort of say that he, this guy's becoming the things that she fears the most, you know, but just, they were so specific. There was a guy yes. with long hair yeah. and a beard. I just I'm, was wondering, I didn't know if that was something. Yeah, like from I, I, I meant to look it up and I completely forgot. Who and then do were. you
1: think the last was, was the last shot of psycho homage?
2: What was it? it was oh, him. him. Well, it really
1: felt like it, it was it, like in it? the, cause it is about the catching the serial killer who has a, you know, I mean, it was a different, obviously different um, psychosis, yeah. <laughs> um, but the the idea of seeing him sort of, the eyes, like it was a straight shot on yes. him, and, you know, they didn't do the uh, superimposition of a skull or anything like that, of but course. It just, it, I saw it, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's the last shot of Psycho, that's awesome.
2: Yeah, it feels like it. Oh, man, that last shot of Psycho is great. Wouldn't hurt a fly. Oh, so good. Um, So, yeah, the episode's initial script, where Faster was a necrophiliac, was rejected by Fox for being uh, unacceptable for broadcast standards, and they said um, that turning him into a death fetishist actually really, you know, helped. He he really liked uh, uh, the. He liked that Chris Carter then said that the sexual content was implied and understood by audiences, and that Fasta still resulted in a creepy character, particularly his creepy arrogance was really good the episode's original title was fascination but he does have this like arrogance about mm-hmm. him that's it's such a specific performance from yeah. this actor he's he's so good in this role um he says the Scene where Dana Scully imagines faster appearing as a devil was influenced by real-life accounts as described by Carter. Mm. There were reports of people who had been under the spell of Jeffrey Dahmer who actually claimed that he shape-shifted during those hours wow. when they were held hostage. That his image actually uh, changed. And Nutter said in many ways, Chris wanted to sell the idea that, as established in Mulder's closing dialogue in the show, not all terror comes from the paranormal. It comes from the. It could come from the person next door. Um, they really liked Nick. Chinland is faster. Do you know he used a he was a basketball player. And he wanted to go pro and he got an injury. Yeah, and then he realized he couldn't play basketball anymore and realized that he was. That's and that's what sort of he sort of got this all American sort of yeah. look, but like it's dark. But he kind of looks like like I could see him being a pretty good basketball player. Yeah. He actually looks a Big little guy. bit like um who's that? kyle Corver a little yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know yeah. Karl Corver? Yeah. yeah, he actually oh, wow. kind
1: of looks like him a little bit. Yeah. Well, he definitely just has that sort of, almost, I would say, '80s matinee idol. Like he's kind of got that hair is a little. Oh sort yeah. Of not quite George Pappard, but like, right. Is, obviously, it was before that, but um, although the A Team, but that there was something. He's obviously was th- that thing where the, somebody is traditionally handsome, and so they're disarming. Like a guy like that could come to your door with a delivery. And you'd be like, oh, okay, That's cool. Fine. Like, that guy looks fine. Like, he's yeah. handsome and, like, he must not be crazy because he looks normal. Yeah. And that, that idea of not knowing what's underneath, you know, that we're such a surface kind of, be- we all surface beings in a way that we yeah. respond to people. Right. You know, For sure. And it, and it will make us mute or deaf to sort of the other cues, which yes. is sort of the guy waited three seconds to answer you <laughs> about whether he took over the, yeah. re- you know, you're like, he has the creepiest cadence in America. Yeah. There was a guy
2: I don't know why I thought well it'll be obvious why I thought of it my parents live uh, near a town called Teaneck in New Jersey Mm -hmm. oh yeah I'm from Cherry Hill Emily and I got married by there and right when we were getting married there was a huge case there because this young guy 28 was a necrophiliac worked at a funeral home and we saw his picture and he was a really handsome young guy yeah and there was that idea of like oh nobody probably thought that there was anything wrong with him and it's not that I mean, I don't know what they get out of it, power or whatever it is, but it's clearly not that this, you know, it's you would expect it to be a
1: hideous cat. But that's just because you have your own, you know, we're surface people. Well, it's also just but I don't think anybody really knows where those appetites really come from, meaning, you know, and and the really horrible ones that you 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 don't. You know, it's hard to have sympathy for anybody that that does anything of of the sort. It's just you do wonder, you know, the further back you go, where does sympathy start? Is it when you're a kid? You know, when does the abuse start? When does whatever it is that triggers this? Or is it something that's just an uncontrollable appetite? And, you know, maybe... Yeah. I don't know what you do. I mean,
2: that's what's great is at the end, you just see pictures of him as a little kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like the youngest and they're all like sisters Sisters. maybe that's part of it yeah you don't know what the fuck is going on but it's just a normal kid and you just see like a bunch of pictures of this normal kid and it's the idea like it's not that maybe something bad happened to him or not
1: it's just it's just just some people are born wrong some people
2: are just born we were this is so i do this uh, uh, podcast called Mm harmontown pretty often that dan Dan Harmon hosts, that we somehow got to talking about necrophilia once and we were joking. We were like, well, they're already dead. It's kind of a victimless crime. (laughs) And then Spencer was like, it's more like vandalism. (laughs) 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 Um, Chris Carter said, you know, about the casting, he said it uh, it was very difficult. We saw many actors, but there was a quality I was looking for. And I couldn't put a name on that quality. I finally figured out what it was when Nick came in. And he had a kind of androgynous quality that worked. I thought he looked like Joe College, but he could scare the hell out Mm -hmm. of you. And then everyone talks about how great he was. Nutter said, Nick Chindlin was wonderful to work with. The guy was like putty in my hands. He was great. If you're looking for someone to underline the weirdness and strangeness of the character, he did that. Putty in my hands. Yeah.
1: Poor choice of words. Yeah.
2: <laughs> don't. Okay. And Nutter said, uh, yeah, no, I didn't say don't to you. I was like saying don't to Nutter. Like, don't, don't say that. Yeah. I worked really hard to make it a special show because I thought it was special. It was Gillian's post-traumatic stress episode mm-hmm. because she had not really had the opportunity to vent her feelings about the whole Dwayne Barry situation. This was an opportunity to sit back and let all of that happen. Um, and they talk about that moment at the end where they hug and how they really like that. Um, and then Darren Mooney, who I've read about before. Yeah, i When I said the Ted Bundy and Dahmer Mm -hmm. thing, that was from his his review of it. Um, Standards and practices didn't want it. Oh, there's a part. A lot of people in the message boards caught this, uh, where they watch the football game for a second. Mm -hmm. They talk about a football player named Chris Carter, who was a real football player that was in
1: that was on the show. Yeah, just quickly,
2: and they're like, and Chris Carter catches the ball or whatever the football term for it is. He runs to the goal. Extra diegetic comment. Um, people are trying to connect this one to... girl Because he calls her girly girl, remember? Mm-hmm. Last one, little sister, So They're like, oh, what yeah. is this? Girly girl, like, that was weird. That was a weird... Kind that of was art. really... And just sort
1: of a... Yeah.
2: Weird specific thing that's not explained. What I like is when X-Files doesn't connect those dots that it doesn't yeah. need it to connect. It just lets people be weird. Yeah. He's just a weird guy. Yeah. We don't know why he is the way he is. Um, oh, this is interesting. I found... So a lot, what's interesting is that I'm seeing, you know, conversations about like people. I'm seeing the internet rules for spoilers being developed. Uh, that's I'm awesome. seeing it happen where they're like, don't put anything in the right. subject line, right. mark it clearly. I'm seeing these conversations right. happen. And this person said, hey, I've been watching the show for a while and wondered if I missed something. What are spoilers? <laughs> <laughs> They'd never heard the word. Oh, that's it amazing. It makes perfect sense.
1: Can you imagine an internet where the word spoiler I wasn't wrong? I remember around? Rec arts uh, Star Wars. I was, yeah, no, I remember it well. I mean, just yeah. the Usenet groups were, like, I think you guys talked about it. It was just sort of this weird, sort of, at the time, a a bastion of, of politeness relative to today, where you yeah. had, like, professors <laughs> debating things. Right. It was an actual, it wasn't a full-on, like, there yeah. was Flame War, but it was not, like, it was at least people that were, you know, yeah, string together, it's put sentences together in words, but like to that's, the difference between your and you are, where is it? Google, who bought it? So
2: where? Groups.google.com. Groups.google.com. dot Can X- I look for files. all my
1: old Star Wars facts and stuff? And, I, they might be there. Wow. Yeah. You Did you ever post? Well, my, yes. Oh yeah. But the fact was, um, my, the, my best friend here in, in Los Angeles, uh, uh, uh is a producer. His name is Dithya Sood and we met, in, I shouldn't even say this online. It's really embarrassing. But like he wrote the fact in like 93 or 90. me. Star Trek, but the next generation. No, 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 no. For Star Wars. For on for the record. Wars. Star Wars group. And like we, I was like, I don't know that your comment about this, that like is the correct. Thing. Oh. And, and, friends, and we've been friends for 20 years.
0: Wow.
2: Yeah. That's impressive.
1: Um. So, and a lot of people are debating
2: because they're, whether he is a shapeshifter or not and a lot of people it seems like want him to be a shapeshifter and they're like oh that's why he needs hair oh. and nails because he ingests them oh, and wow. that like sort of helps
1: with that it's or something. so interesting because yeah. at the time like the idea of them similar in a weird meta way of not being able to accept the episode as not an x-files episode yeah was sort of didn't make sense right so it was the opposite of what Mulder is saying which i is mean exactly you know I mean that's the exact. That's dem- fascinating. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, that's the
2: exact point and, of the episode. And nails,
1: and that's what he needs to become a different.
2: Yeah, haired man. Uh, this guy goes into like I do have an idea as to the nature of all Donnie. If you remember, we see the same demonic shape at the beginning in the scene with the funeral home. Um, since we saw it then, his demonic aspect probably wasn't just in Scully's mind. I think that he was supposed to be possessed or influenced by some demon. The way he changed into a bunch of different people when he had Scully captive leads me to believe that the demon was Legion from mm. the New Testament, which is a specific wow. demon. He looks sort of
1: um, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yeah, too, he like does. That, one, that yeah. one form that he takes.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. the most evil, the most demon yeah. form. Uh, People are saying hair and nails have a lot in common. They're basically made of the same material. Uh, Also due to how do they grow, they're kind of storage records of what we are, both genetics and chemicals. They also both continue to grow after we die. I'm thinking that the hair and nail thing is linked directly to those final morphing scenes. The previous episode had to do with genetic memory. Now we have a creature basically ingesting genetic material from various people. Perhaps those forms he morphed into were genetic memories from his victims. I firmly believe that the creature form was his true form and everything else is a facade. Wow. Um, yeah, so, and then people are saying, like, I thought maybe the hair and nails thing was a focus of Donnie's anger at his mother and sisters. Hmm. Like, he thought they spent too much time on their hair and nails. Uh, going into the business of making up corpses would then be an interesting, obsessive type response. So, people are trying to figure out, some people are trying to figure out, like, the, um, the the motivation of him, like his, mm. uh, you know, his uh, mental makeup. But then some people really it's want him to literal, be an alien. It's
1: very interesting that such a literal, the need for such a literal interpretation. Yeah. It, I wonder if it was because you really hadn't seen as m- much of that, meaning the idea of a more, I don't want to say more sophisticated look at sort of evil. I mean, you'd seen Sons of Lambs or that had been the right. culture. So it wasn't like it was brand new, the idea of saying, wow, you know, sometimes evil is the, that idea you said of the next door evil and yeah. that it doesn't need to be supernatural was, but I think it's probably more that it's X-Files and people go, we we have seen this yeah. with the, with the, through the lens X-Files. of history. It's like yeah. every week you're like, oh, you imagine watching the trailer, you know, the spot for this one. It's like, I think he's a death fetishist, and you see a creature, and you're like, oh, shit. It's oh, all yeah. about shape-shifting. Yeah, it's exactly. All, it's on. I bet
2: that was in the yeah. preview. I bet you're right. The demon was in the preview, so then you're like, oh, it's the demon episode, yeah. so you go
1: in thinking it's a demon episode. And you weren't going back. You were watching it once. Like, maybe and you recorded gone. it, but maybe not, and yeah. it's gone. Um, the people like a lot uh, th-
2: that scene at the end. Scully does not want Mulder to feel he has to protect her, so she struggles struggles fiercely to conceal her emotions in the final scene, but is betrayed by the cracking of her voice when she insists, I'm fine. Mulder, this made it all the more touching when she broke down and he folded her into his arms. They really loved, everyone really loved that scene. Um, And then some people are saying they think that it's not a, uh, he was not a shapeshifter. I think it was a directing device to make the guy more sinister. I myself saw a lot of Jeffrey Dahmer in that character. The haircut, clean appearance, soft-spoken demeanor. The way his apartment wa- was, uh, when Dahmer was big news, the press always dwelled on the fact that he was normal on the inside, but so much a demon. That he was normal on the outside, but so much a demon on the inside. I think the director was playing with that notion. The guy mm-hmm. never really looked like a psycho. But if you caught him out of the corner of your eye, the inner truth was visible. This is just what my reaction was. So so people are really like sort of mm-hmm. arguing about this thing. And then this week, uh, well, David Duchovny was supposed to be on Regis and Kathy Lee, and he never showed up. People were really angry about that. Then he was supposed to be on Letterman, and Bill Cosby was the first guest. They ended up doing three segments with Bill Cosby, and and they had to bump Wait. David Duchovny. Oh, so, so people got really angry at Bill Cosby. There's a lot of Bill Cosby what? hate on these message boards because he went long. So they said, oh, we don't have time
1: for David Duchovny? They
2: literally said that we don't have time for David Duchovny, and then he came back later the same week. And they and then now he was the first guest. That was like back in the
1: day we had to get the TV guide out of
2: the paper and be like, oh, who's on? Oh, like, oh yeah, when Duchovny's on, people are they're like, oh, I heard, uh, I just caught out of the corner, you know, it was it was on TV and they said David Duchovny. Yeah. Uh, So so he's going to be on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But then he came on next night and they kind of joke about how he you know was bumped and stuff and uh, and people loved it. I'll tell you this. Read this. Listen to how Groot gross this is uh that they say david DuCarney was very gracious don't you just love the way he was sitting sigh don't you just love that cute and dorky way his hair stuck on the side stuck up on the side don't you just want to sit right in his lap and look into those beady little eyes this is just like fucking donny fester <laughs> and did you notice the apparent shade makeup this is where it gets weird right Did you notice the apparent shade makeup used on the sides of his nose? It also looked like a line of highlight was applied to the length of his nose. This trick, of course, is to make a wide nose look narrower. I, for one, love, all caps, love his nose the way it is. And it does seem long and a little wide, but not too wide, right? It's just right, isn't it? Oh, yes. And his hands, sheer poetry. He just glowed, didn't he? Oh,
1: master. (laughs) Mm, master by the way i'm emailing that to david you <laughs> gotta send that to me that's actually genius because by the way you read that and you realize like we all the stuff we were just saying like oh this is amazing to be at the this sort of outset yeah. of this and you realize it's still the internet yeah, Like, it's, it's creepy still just sort of oh my like, god there isn't a lot of um self uh filter happening
2: that jaw that adam's apple the angularity of his face that face was no accident it was chiseled by god I wonder what Master thinks That's about awesome. when he looks down upon our sky with the planets orbiting around his head. Wait, is Master David
1: or David is it? David Duchovny okay. is
2: Master. Okay. And he cool. has the planets orbiting, orbiting around his head. Um, fucking creepy, right? Uh, and then people got a little upset because he makes a joke about the X Files on there.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, Letterman says, Now, what's the show The X Files about? And he says, Well, it's about two FBI agents who investigate. Paranormal activities that the rest of the FBI doesn't want anything to do with. What do you mean by paranormal activities? And then David Duchovny says, well, like a Cro-Magnon woman, which is from uh, Jersey Devil. Mm -hmm. At this point, Letterman gave him a blank stare and the audience was silent. David Duchovny shrugging his shoulders. Hey, I don't write for this show. I just Uh, act for it. Boom. People got really like, hey, what the fuck? What's he doing? And they're like, it's a comedy show. It's fine. Some people are defending him. The other thing that happened is that... uh, World News Weekly, whatever that rag is. The show is big enough now that there are stories about it. And it says, uh, this was a story from uh, that uh, week's newspaper. Fans of Fox's weekly sci-fi hit, The X-Files, we be surprised to learn that the star is hiding a secret that could well be one of the uh, X-Files his character would investigate. And insiders say that David Duchovny has admitted that Elvis Presley is, in fact, his father. Hmm. This startling revelation comes on the heels of rumors that the star is engaged to Janet Jackson. So, uh, it's coming I mean, into the conversation. I was going
1: to say, that's culture, man. Yeah. That's how you know you've arrived. Yeah. But wait, I don't even... Did they... I don't even know. I was going to say They're the connection saying, between Elvis Presley I don't and think Marian there's Janet a connection. Jackson. It's it just that he's like, engaged to Janet Jackson yeah, and, and his son dad son is the Elvis. King. Genuinely, the, he's the son yeah. of the... He's the, the yellow king. Master is the son of the king. I wanted them to do True Detective with... With J- David and Jillian, <laughs> True Detective season two. <gasps> that would have been great. That would have been awesome. Yeah, yeah, that,
2: that would have been would've great. Done what done a great that, show, but, by uh, the way. True amazing Detective. show. If you like The X Files and you hadn't seen True Detective, you're going to love it. I mean, serial killer stuff at this point is a little played out. I still love it. I still, I think it's. Well, True Detective
1: uh, was so much more. Oh, than so that much in terms more. Of the metaphysical aspect of it. And you get to see these great film actors doing great TV you know it's like yeah. it's just a cool it's a great so show I, I, I devoured it as uh, else Steve did, thank you so much for coming thank you this, this has been a pretty awesome. long episode but it's been great no this is awesome we do so much more good stuff to come in terms of the show and oh yeah and there's don't, big stuff coming don't skip any episodes
2: no I'm not gonna skip any episodes and i will love love to have you back um, thank you man. what
1: uh, watch Prometheus. Uh, Perhaps yeah, you've I heard mean, of it. You know, just I don't have anything to plug. Just be. be uh, when does Exodus come? Be on? excellent to each other. Um, Exodus comes out December twelfth. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay, and that's and gonna it's, be huge. it's great. No, it's it's I you know you can't go by me, but I think it's great. <laughs> <laughs> but great. Well, thanks for coming. Thanks a lot.
2: Hey, thanks so much for listening, guys. Uh, so follow me at X Files Files. Uh, follow me on Twitter as myself at Kamel N. Uh, email me at thexfilesfiles at gmail.com. And, um, you know, oh, still, I always say this, go to iTunes, give the show good reviews. That's how, you know, we can stay up in the rankings. Like, we've been doing pretty well still. So let's keep that up. We can get more guests. I'm sort of working on some big guests right now. So fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. I don't want to say anything. Uh, next week, we're talking two more episodes. Guy, Hand, dive, or let's... And Fresh Bones with Matt Pronger, who's a very, very, very funny comedian and an old friend of mine back from back in my Chicago days when I first started comedy. This was one of my first friends, and he's a huge, massive X Files fan and a really, really funny guy. If you haven't seen his comedy, look it up. Uh, but yeah, so we're talking about two episodes, and uh, you know Diane Everlet. It's really interesting. It's an episode that I didn't remember much about, but rewatching it. I really really ended up loving it. I thought it was a very weird, quirky, fun, very funny episode. Uh so that's what I'm really enjoying uh about this rewatch. It's like rediscovering episodes I kind of uh, forgotten about. Um all right, thanks again for listening guys. See you guys next week.
3: Feral Audio
1: Hey, wrestling fans and non-wrestling fans. Check out our podcast, You Should Love Wrestling, the show where we try to convince our friend to love wrestling. I hate wrestling. We talk about all the best and worst parts of wrestling. Like Stone Cold Steve Austin. Spills a lot of beer. Or Yoshiko.
2: That's a literal sex doll that wrestles.
1: All in an effort to help you love professional wrestling. Subscribe
2: to You Should Love Wrestling on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app.